Oddities Late Night Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash. Crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And it looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. This week on Cinemodities, we are starting a new series, which is always a very exciting event. But before we get into those things, I think first and foremost, of course, once again, you know him by now. It's not Zach. We have LaShawn back with us, discussing yet again a completely different movie from the previous instances he's been on. Thanks for coming again, LaShawn. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. All right. Another thing we have to do at the start is uh, we're actually going to be earning some ad revenue this week. We have a little advertisement to do. I know it's very exciting. I'm, I'm looking at LaShawn right now. He's just thrilled. But I think it's a good one because it's uh, for something that LaShawn is aware of. And it is for the new album by The Immortal Lansberries. So their new album came out, I think, about two weeks ago at the point this comes out. But we're still pushing it hard. Uh, it is called Lit, L-I-T. It's available on Spotify, all those major music streaming platforms you can find it on as well, and you should definitely check it out. Uh, I don't know if LaShawn has heard the entire album, because at the time of recording this, it came out yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I haven't, I haven't uh, gone through the lists of you know sharing it with all the individuals I usually do, but it, I know he has heard a song from it before, and uh, I'm going to... Try and remember what you said best, but we really liked it uh, when we heard your review. It was for the song Exploding Head Syndrome, and I think you said something like it gave you the feeling of walking around an art gallery or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly what I said, yeah. And we, we loved that. We thought that was a great review, and uh, so, so maybe, LaShawn, in addition to these weird movies I, I pick your brain about, in addition to the cars and stuff like that, maybe you should do some music reviewing because you have some hot takes like... Uh, like walking around an art museum. That's something I ever would have uh, thought of to say about music, but we loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so, yes, uh, I will put the link to the album in the show notes so you can all check it out, and we hope you enjoy it. So, the other thing we have to talk about, as always, like we, we know he's not Zach, he's LaShawn, but where is Zach? He's hard at work at the restaurant, once again, dealing with some complaints. And this week... It's because some people have been complaining about our creme de la creme dish. Now, of course, creme de la creme just means, you know, uh, the best of the best, that type of thing. But we have a dish called creme de la creme. I believe it's like a saucer of milk with a little bit of heavy cream in it. I think that's what it was. But the, the thing that truly makes it our own is that in this milk and cream, there are ground up bits of a DVD of the Aristocats. The Disney movie. So first first question, even though this isn't a, a big question, have you ever heard of or seen The Aristocats, LaShawn, the animated Disney movie about the cats? No, I've seen some memes pop up here and there, but I've never actually watched it. Okay, okay. So, so when we uh, discussed this way back when, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Zach did not. I believe he pitched the dish of, of creme de la creme, and he, he wanted to grind up the Aristocats DVDs and put them into the, the milk and the cream. But the, the agreement that we settled on for this dish was that the customer can choose the granularity of the ground-up DVD when they order it. So they can request if it's really fine, really coarse, things like that. We've been getting some complaints from people who say that this is a bad thing to have on our menu because ground-up chunks of DVD will hurt people who eat it and probably cut up their intestines. And that, that's definitely true. Like, if you eat, a, eat like, shards of DVD, it will probably not do your body anything good. 
But at the same time, what these people don't realize is, like I already said, you can choose the granularity of the ground-up DVD. So just choose to, it to be as coarse as possible, like not ground-up at all. Like just choose to have a DVD and a saucer of milk and then take the DVD out. These people are so stupid, LaShawn. They don't think <laughs> about the outs and the ins that were given them with these items. So Zach's basically trying to convince everyone that while, yes, you could be an idiot and order this food so it will hurt you, you can order it so it won't hurt you. So, you know, everybody everybody, calm down about the restaurant. And this was a weird one to complain about because there are other things on the menu that you don't get a choice for that will just hurt you. So who knows why they pick this one over the others? It's, it's, right. no, nothing's <laughs> new at the restaurant, LaShawn. Everything is, uh, everything's going wonderfully as always. <laughs> same old, same old. <laughs> so with all that out of the way, like I said earlier, we are starting a new series. Very exciting. And this one we are calling... The High Impact Joke Density Series. And so now, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> and so, I think this, uh, before we describe the exact name, the, the whole inception of this series was because I think the audience knows, LaShawn knows, anybody who knows me knows, I, I really love comedies, and not just love the comedies that I love, but I have an extreme interest in the whole idea of comedy. You know, what works for some people, but doesn't for others, and things like that. If you remember from last year on Cinemodities, uh, we did a whole two months on just sketch comedy um, TV shows, which is still like my lifeblood. I live for sketch comedy. I love them all, no matter how stupid they are. And when I wanted to go back to more comedy, I said, oh, wow, well, there's you know still tons of sketch comedy things we haven't done. But I figured we wouldn't revisit that quite yet, and we do a different type of comedy in the spoof-slash-parody movie genre, or sub-genre of comedy, I should say. And particularly, I wanted to talk about those spoof or parody movies that are dense with jokes. And the, the high impact part of the name comes from the idea that most of the movies we're going to discuss are culturally significant to some extent. That they are very well regarded or well known uh, almost universally. And this movie that we're discussing today is, of course, probably the crown jewel in what most people would think of when they think of spoof parody movies. It is Airplane from 1980. So I, I do want to start with some context on Airplane because uh, just before we started recording, I was telling LaShawn how excited I was about this. When I sent him the list of the things that were coming up on Cinemodities uh, when we were getting ready for War of the Roses, I said, hey, you know, let me know if any of these uh, you want to come on for. And he, he picked out two. One in this series that I was not surprised by, which we'll get to later this month, but another was Airplane. And I, I, I wouldn't say I was very surprised, but I was kind of like, oh, like, LaShawn is interested in Airplane? Like, I don't think we've ever talked about that movie before, ever. <laughs> like, we never, this is going to be the first one that we had never talked about, never watched together, anything like that. And so I was kind of like, well, oh, okay, you got it. Like, you're here for the Airplane discussion. And then as, you know, we're setting up when to record, uh, I'm doing something in my apartment one night. And my phone goes off. It's a Facebook message from LaShawn. And I don't have it pulled up exactly, but I think it says, man, the humor in this airplane movie is not, I'm not a fan of or something like that. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, this is extra surprising. 
because I thought when you picked it, you had some history with it, or, or you loved it, or you had, were, like, really into it. And I was kind of shocked, and I was like, oh, has he never seen this before? And that actually turned out to be the case. You might have been one of the last people on Earth, LaShawn, who had <laughs> never seen Airplane until, like, a week ago. So, so uh, what made you pick this one out of the list, and, and why did you want to see Airplane, finally? So, that's a, I probably am one of the last few people, and it's also in my defense— because I only became an American like five years ago, so it's not part of my heritage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I guess I guess that's a fair point that you know I, I I've I've known about this movie almost my whole life because I've been in America the whole my whole life. I don't know how this is received overseas or anything, even though I know it has like international releases. But but good point, good point. Yeah, and I so I think for me it was the biggest thing was just I've heard about this movie forever. I, you know. Um, you hear about like coming to America and all these classic movies and airplanes, just one that's always popped up. And I'm like, okay, you know, I know soul plane, but I don't know airplane. And so I figured, you know, I should probably check it out and, uh, see what, why it makes so many of the top rated lists and, you know, why it's such a classic and everything. And, uh, it didn't really click with me, but I, you know, we'll get into that all later, but that's why I was so late to the game. Right on. It, it, I, I'm glad you bring that up, that it's, you know, everybody hears about it. It's regularly cited as one of the funniest movies. Some people even say it's, like, one of the best movies of all time. And and that's what absolutely baffles me, because <laughs> I, I have definitely seen this movie uh, a handful of times. I wouldn't say I, like, rewatch it, you know, regularly or anything. Uh, I definitely saw it when I was younger. And I hadn't seen it for a few years, maybe, like, a, a good bit of years bef- before I watched it for this recording, and when I watched it for this recording, I was like, man, I forgot a lot about the actual movie, like the story and the characters. And I realized that everything that I was remembering was just like the iconic jokes. And I guess for a comedy, that's the true hallmark, that if a comedy movie comes out, you know, 90 minutes long, the best thing that can ever happen is that people will quote it forever. You know, I think the most famous line from this movie is, you know, Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Like, <laughs> like everybody knows that line. I think everybody knows the, the drinking problem joke, where he's like, I have a drinking problem, and he just can't put the cup to his lips, and he spills it all over himself. But I was kind <laughs> of amazed that, you know, this movie is, is so well-received, but it falls into a different category than I would say... Of movies, I, I don't know if this is really a movie, more so that it is just like a weird live-action multicast stand-up routine. Like, like the plot doesn't matter to this movie at all. Would you agree with that? The whole like it's just it's just a setting for them to make jokes, and then they break from that setting half the time to show like you know the the Tupperware party of the tribe and things like that. And it's just it it, it doesn't feel like a movie to me. <laughs> no, I completely agree, and. My biggest thing was watching it. I was like, where is this going? What is happening? You know, like, what is serious? Is there something serious actually going on? Or is this is this just a joke? Like, am I part of the joke? Like, what's going on? Am I like, you know? Um, and then one of the things I came across was, like, people try to summarize this movies and movie in different ways. And the best one I came across was, a man afraid to fly must ensure that a plane lands safely after the pilots become sick. And I was yeah. like, that's the movie. <laughs> that, that's all it is. And it even takes like half the movie for people to start getting sick. It's crazy. <laughs> it's so weird, you know, that when I rewatched it, I had all these feelings. And, and I guess I should say, you know, like you said, the humor didn't click with you. Um, 
this definitely isn't like a a laugh riot to me, or at least you know it might have been when I was younger. I don't really remember, but this time it definitely wasn't. You know, I guess a good way to put it is I've said before that my idea of like a perfect comedy or my favorite comedies are the ones that are so dense with with good jokes or jokes that land is that when you laugh at one, you you miss, like, the next three because you're laughing so much at one. And, you know, the things that... Just some examples of things that do that for me. Um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, I love that show. And it's like, I could watch 11 minutes of that, you know, like six times in a row and pick up a new joke every single time. Um, the Thumb movies, which we've talked about on here before, I find those ungodly hilarious. Uh, Freaked, which we've discussed before. And I know it, it's not quite in this category, but I, I think when we maybe compare this to a more a more movie type of comedy. Uh, LaShawn, do you remember Freddy Got Fingered from back in the sure day? Do. Yeah. <laughs> my hooves! It's the sound of my hooves! <laughs> ah, you hear the funny sound? <laughs> I, I think that's a, that's like a movie that has jokes in it, where Airplane is more of jokes that have a movie around it. it. It's kind of like the inversion of what I like in a comedy, because this movie is just is just so much like a routine that even though it isn't a laugh riot for me, I understand why some people could fall into that trap of like, you know, like a, a some some joke happens in airplane and people are thinking about it and laughing about it that they mix miss the next three because they come at you so fast. This movie is truly you know dense with jokes. I, I think that the one thing I was blown away by when I was watching this is that it's got to be something like ninety eight or ninety nine percent of the time a, the camera is placed in a shot. There's a joke. Like, there's a sight gag, there's some dialogue, there's a character reaction, there's some weird subversion. This movie is packed with jokes in every possible way. And I like what you said before when you were like, where is this going? Is something serious happening? Because even in the scenes where someone is saying something in the foreground of a shot, like, just, it's not a joke, it's very serious. Like, an air traffic controller is like, oh, this plane's coming in at, like, this, this speed and this direction, and that's happening in the foreground... There's some stupid sight gag happening in the background. And the movie's telling you, it's like, don't pay attention to this stupid dialogue that's relevant to the story. Like, pay attention to this goof that we're showing you in the background. And it's just, it's just so crazy to me that this exists. I mean, I love that it exists. This is a different type of comedy than I think a lot of people are used to, um, you know, back in the 80s and still today. But I, I'm just kind of blown away that this is loose as a movie could possibly be. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on that. And then my biggest thing like that you mentioned is that it does, it does feel like it's a giant stand-up sketch show. Um, you know, like they invited all these comedians on this plane and they're like, you guys just give and take, you know, just, just throw it out there and somebody else will finish the joke. Like just throw the punchline out, you know? And that's what it, it, it just went back and forth with the jokes. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it never stops. And and even though I, I don't think I was, you know, laughing so hard I was missing any, there were definitely some that I was, like, not getting, like, jokes that weren't landing, and I was trying to think about why I wasn't getting them, only to realize that I was just overthinking them. Like, there's some scene <laughs> near the end where, like, something happens. I, I can't I don't remember the line, but, like, someone says something, and then, like, a watermelon just falls and crashes on a desk. And I'm like... I'm like, what, what does that mean? Like, 
is is that funny? Like, is that set up by something? Is it just a watermelon falling? And it is. Apparently it is. Like, I was reading some, some facts about this movie, and apparently in test screenings, the directors were upset that the watermelon falling didn't get as big of a reaction as they were hoping. And I'm like, it's just a watermelon falling. Like, of course it's not going to get a reaction, right? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, my thing, too, is I, I don't even know who the funny guy in the whole thing was. There is no funny guy. It's just funny scenes and funny interactions with, like, the people on board the plane. It's not one person who's made that movie, and I love that the most. Yes, I, I think that is... Um, I'm glad you bring that up, because that is one of the, the, the hallmarks of this movie. Um, you know, I, one of the things I, like, immensely respect this movie for is that it took all just straight-laced, you know, serious actors and put them in this com- overly comedic movie. Like, you're absolutely right. There's no, like, one funny dude. Like, there's no leading man, you know? It's not like this is a Robin Williams vehicle or it's not like a Jim Carrey vehicle. It's like you have, you know, Robert Stack, Peter Graves, uh, Leslie Nielsen, and they're all playing it completely straight, but they're delivering jokes. And that's, that's quite possibly the greatest thing this movie has done, and possibly what the directors have done, Zaz, and I'll, I do want to talk about the directors in a bit, um, but introduced Leslie Nielsen as a comedic actor. Like, he was just a serious leading man for his whole career, and as he got older, you know, he was, like, almost doomed to those elderly grandpa roles. And then they put him in this movie as the doctor, who is just, you know, no inflection. He's just stone-faced the whole time. And people are like, wow, we realize we can use him. And, of course, he goes on to, like, the Naked Gun movies, uh, the Police Squad TV show, and then all a bunch of, you know, crazy spoof parody movies that people don't really know how to use him in. Like, there's Spy Hard. I think there's 2001 A Space Travesty, Dracula and Loving It. Um, and they're all, they don't, like, make him the, the serious person. They don't really know how to use him like Airplane and the Naked Gun. But quite possibly... That's the greatest thing Zaz has done. And so whenever I say Zaz, and that's going to come up a whole bunch in this month, they are the directors of this movie. Uh, it's the Zucker brothers, so David and Jerry Zucker. That's the Z and the Z. And Jim Abraham, so Zucker, Abrahams, and Zucker, uh, abbreviated to Zaz. So this was their first, like, huge, big-budget directorial movie. And they had a lot of pushback from a lot of people, like on set, off set, you know, from the studio and things like that. But at the end of the day, they got basically complete control on what to do. And good for them, because they will always be remembered for this movie. But like I said, they introduced Leslie Nielsen and the serious actors into comedic roles. I think um, uh, the the thing that we described earlier, so like that, that two-plane pun definitely intended but like the foreground background you know if if something's happening in the foreground put a joke in the background and if something is funny is happening in the foreground you know don't use the background they always have this this trade-off of where their gags are happening i'm pretty sure they were like the first people to do that at least in in movies and stuff i i also know they're the first people that did the jokes and credits idea and i I don't know Lashawn, if you watched the credits for this movie but there's like a bunch of goofy credits like, I think the one yeah, that stood out to that. me is, like, uh, you know, they, in every movie there's the best boy and, and the grips and stuff like that. But in these credits there's worst boy, and Adolf Hitler is credited as the worst boy. I saw that, yeah. And, and so I, they started that, and they've done a lot for comedy. The whole influence of Zaz is, you know, we could do a whole episode on that. Like, there, there wouldn't be, you know, I think comedy as it stands today if it wasn't for Zaz. And good for them. I respect them for that. I respect this movie. But 
I, I gotta say, you know, overall, I'm with you, LaShawn. This just didn't really click this last viewing for me. Sure, you know, some things stood out to me. I think there are some jokes that will always stand out to me for, you know, silly reasons, goofy reasons, you know, stupid sophomoric reasons. But it's overall, I was kind of like, man, I, I had more nostalgia for this movie than I did actually for the movie in reality. Like, I think just, you know, knowing these main jokes, that's what carried this movie in high regard in my head for the last few years. When I watched it again, I was like, yeah, you know, I, it's culturally significant, but I, I don't really want to watch it again. Like, I could go another five years without watching this movie, I think. I think I've had my fill just seeing it this once. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on all that. And my big thing, too, is, you know, this humor... It's not necessarily that it's humor that, you know, hasn't aged well or anything like that, because you see this a lot in Family Guy. Um, Family Guy does this type of humor all the time. Um, I guess it's just the relevance of the jokes now. They're a little different for the generations that we're dealing with. And even our current generation, it's just we we view certain dad jokes as dad jokes. And so they're not really that funny. You still laugh, but it's not that funny because it's just a dad joke. Yes, yes. And that that's an interesting idea and I'm glad you bring up because uh, so so I think this is this is going to be the saving grace for this discussion because I definitely don't want this to be oh we're going to get to it audience don't worry. We will list off some <laughs> things that we found funny, but I definitely think there's something bigger at work here with just the idea of comedy, you know, going from 1980 with Airplane still being so well-known today to, like you said, the comedy of today and, you know, the 2000s, the 90s, like your family guys and things like that. I I have such a hard time, you know, talking to people about comedy these days because comedy, of course, is so subjective, but I think more so than ever, we are, as a people, as a society, as a, as a population, as a species, inundated with comedy and different types of it because of the internet and because of memes where you know people can be like some people be like comedy is a really well-crafted joke that takes like you know 15 minutes to set up and tell and you know i think like uh your stand-ups like ricky gervais does a lot of that stuff where it takes some some really long time to set up a joke and get going but then you have people who are like man i saw a dog in a hot dog costume that's (laughs) comedy and it's like is is that comedy like uh, I, I guess to start this is, what are your thoughts on memes, LaShawn? Are you a memer? Do you look at them frequently? Do you try and avoid them? What's your, what's your, what's your feeling on the concept of memes? <laughs> so I love memes, but I've realized that you only think memes are funny if you truly have been there and understand the relevance to the meme. If, you know, someone's like, this was me when I bought my hot dog or something like this, and it's like, okay, cool, this only applies to you. But if it, if you, you know... If you get those cringy vibes and those feels, you're like, oh, that's funny. Like, I'm glad that someone else, you know, understands. So I do like yes. memes. Yes, it's, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, that's a good point. Like the, um, are you asleep, my brain at 3 a.m., like thinking of cringy memories, right. things like that, you know. <laughs> you definitely have to be there. And and I think those memes definitely are, are, you know, hit or miss, like you said, for the experience. Some of the memes that, they're just reactions. Those are definitely strange to me where it's just like, you know, like it'll they'll take a, a screenshot of a tweet and then just put a picture under it and it's like this is a meme now and I'm like okay I guess like I, I'm not the one who I, like I was tempted to say there 
like, is that a meme? But I'm, I'm not the one to say. Like, if it gets shared enough on the internet, I think it is a meme, regardless of what I think. I think it's more of, like, is it funny? No. Like, I guess for my context, I'm not the biggest fan of memes. Some, I, some I've seen and absolutely love, don't get me wrong. But I feel like every time I'm on a website that's just for memes, I'm just, like, rapid fire hitting next, 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 because I can't stand any of them. Because even if I've been there before, it's like, sure, I've been there before, okay, I don't even really chuckle, I just acknowledge it. And then between every two memes that are something you could possibly laugh at are pictures of animals. I, <laughs> I don't get this. And this is definitely a little tangent from comedy, but there are just so many goddamn people who were like, hey, I have an animal. I took a picture of it, and I'm going to share it around the world. And other people are like, I'm going to take this picture of an animal and share it even more. That makes no sense to me. I know this is a controversial take to a lot of people that I tell it to, but as soon as I've seen, like, ten pictures of dogs, I don't need to see any other picture of a dog in my life again. Like, I don't understand how people can just be like, man, that's, like, another dog. Like, I'm looking at another dog, and they get amazed by it. I, I don't understand that at all, LaShawn. I mean, I think the big thing with pets is just that it's it's one of those things that you have to like, otherwise you're a weirdo or a serial killer. Yeah. So like <laughs> the world just like it's just a test. And then with the memes, the LOL thing, like people stopped laughing out loud years ago. Oh yeah. So we've lost that art of like truly laughing at things and enjoying videos and you know the true punchlines of our generation because we just LOL and move on and it's just what it is. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's – you're exactly right, especially with um, some of the, the pictures. Like I said, the reactions that get used or maybe the reactions and the meme formats. Like there's got to be people out there if you get so familiar with a meme that you just know where to look. Like you can skip 90% of the, of the picture and just look at one specific part of it and understand what's going on because they use that format or something. And that's that's just insane to me. You are definitely correct about the whole animal thing. Um, uh, I think that people misconstrue every time I say I hate seeing pictures of animals. Like, I'll be at parties, and someone will have their phone. I do that stupid thing where they, like, put their phone in your face. And they're like, <laughs> look at this. Like, this dude is sitting next to a bear. And I'm like, this has no impact on my life whatsoever. <laughs> like, like, there is nothing to gain from this. And they're like, oh, you just don't like animals. And it's like, that is totally not the case i love all animals as long as they're quiet for the most part like i hate loud <laughs> animals that definitely bothers me but oh, like man. i have nothing against animals i have things against like what is the point of looking at a picture of an animal that i have nothing to do with like i have nothing to gain from that in the slightest and then and then you have like the the more recent maybe not super recent but it's definitely coming up a lot more now, is like taking animals or pictures of animals and using them as reactions to memes and things like that. Like a sad cat or like some dog with a caption and, it, and none of the words are spelled correctly or something like that. And I'm just like, I don't understand what this is. Uh, I guess also I should say that, you know, I'm, I'm 27 years old. It's not, like I'm, it's not like I'm out of my range to understand memes. I just don't get them, and, and I've felt this way for a long time, and I guess to, to bring this all back together is that I think that this is why so many people are more, uh, not critical towards comedy, but more maybe 
ambivalent or apathetic towards comedy because we have just like structured ourselves, at least in America and, you know, my generation and, and, you know, more recent generations, we've structured ourselves into this, I need quick, like I, I need immediate gratification. Like I need to see this and then just go on to the next one. And, and that's where, you know, these, these comic comedies that are really, you know, well-crafted and it takes time to get going. They, they don't have the, I don't want to say they don't have the, but they don't aren't willing to spend the attention span to, you know, understand what those jokes are. And I think that with that being said, the, the low attention span or the instant gratification, that's kind of part of the reason I think that this movie might have done so well. Every joke just happens. There, there's no, like, long-crafted, you know, big, like, intense jokes to get in this movie. There's no real setup and payoff. Like I said, you just set the camera down, you watch any scene, and there's a joke. And it's just boom. This movie, in some way, might be meme the movie. Because it's just random jokes strewn, strewn together. Like you said, it's like some, some sketch type of thing. Yeah, and for me, you, you hit it on the head when you said, like, you know, some people like the jokes that take, you know, 15 minutes to set up. And I know one of the first jokes that got me in this movie, like, I was... And it wasn't laugh-out-loud funny. It was just, like, such a good, like, play. It was the announcers on the PA system, you know, at the parking thing. Um, and she's like, oh, you want me to have an abortion, don't you? <laughs> And I'm just like, wait, what? And so I had to back up and rewind and listen to what they were talking about. And they were talking about the unloading zone and the loading zone, and this is okay and this is not. And then I'm like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. They're talking about, you know, stuff that I probably shouldn't mention, you know, without (laughs) getting a (laughs) – Oh, yeah, we're going to get to some of the problematic things in this movie for sure. (laughs) Right, but that's like my kind of humor, and that's why I like, you know, um, Parks and Rec versus The Office or – you know, certain things like that, you know, people like, oh, if you like Parks and Rec, you should like The Office. And it's like, no, they're they're kind of different styles of humor. It's very mm-hmm. similar, but different. Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. Um, de- definitely a, a, a fact that I never knew until researching this movie. The uh, the two voices that you mentioned in the over the PA system, the man and the woman uh, married in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows if that was a real conversation they had, but uh, definitely – Definitely funny. And and another good example of what I was saying before, like this movie is crammed with jokes. That is happening over the credits and like our characters all going into the airport, you know. Nothing funny is happening on screen. We're just hearing this like couple bickering over the uh, the announcement system. So I'm glad you bring up, you know, Parks and Rec in the office because the office, the American version of the office, I think definitely is solidified as, you know, whether or not you like it and I've said on here many times before, I am not a fan of The Office. Um, it's, it's whether or not you like it, you have to know that it, like, changed the game for the, the sitcoms of the world. And it shaped comedy for a lot of people. Like, I've heard so many people who are just like, and I'm sure, I think it's even become a meme. Look at that. To tie it back, people will just say, oh, I could go watch something new. Nope, I'm going to rewatch The Office for the 15th time in my life. Yep. <laughs> and and that and you know Parks and Rec th- that type of style is 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 similar but like you said notably different in what they're doing for sure and I I do want to go off a little bit because I don't know if we've ever talked about this in great detail you and I Lashawn but I, I I never liked The Office and I have seen it all so I've seen all of The Office and Parks and Rec so you know it's not like I'm I just watched a few episodes and I made this I definitely sat through all of it The Office I. I could never I, – I never stand, like, stupid people 
Like, remember when we were we were in um. We were, we were discussing Black Swan, and we were talking about Mila Kunis, and I was like, I hate when characters are just always the butt of jokes. Like, they're always, you know, like Meg Griffin was yeah, always okay. the one. It just, like, and I hate that, like, that one-note type of character. I feel the same way about just people who are fundamentally dumb. And Michael Scott on The Office, Steve Carell's character, is just fundamentally so goddamn stupid that it was painful for me to watch. And the only part of time in the show I actually like started enjoying some of it was after he left and after Jim and Pam got married. I was like, finally, they can write about something different. Like, that's all I want was, you know, like, every joke before that, it was like, they're in love and Michael's a fucking idiot. Like, that was what every <laughs> joke was about. And then they finally had some room to breathe. And I liked the last two, three seasons, however many there were. And then everybody was like, no, that's when it's garbage. And I'm just like, okay, you know, story of my life. <laughs> yeah. So, no, you pretty much covered that specifically. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and I, I always have to tell the, uh, the ending of The Office, the last scene of the series finale of The Office is like the stupidest thing I've ever seen because it's, it's a shot of Pam like in the confessional like they do, you know, in the mockumentary style, the whole, the whole show. And she has the line where she looks at the camera and she goes, you know, when, when you started and started this and said you wanted to film us, you know, I was like, film us? We're just people in an office. Like, how interesting could it be? But I guess if you put enough people in a room, there's bound to be drama. And I'm like, the show just told us the point of the show at the end of it. Like, duh. Like, that's the whole fucking idea of this show is that if random people are in an office setting, there's going to be drama and there's going to be comedy. And then the show felt that they needed to tell that to the audience. <laughs> no good. Don't do it. Um, so I never liked The Office. In contrast, Parks and Rec, I watched it, like, I think when, like, the third season was on. So I, like, watched it before it was over. and But I was, like, timed it so I could, like, catch up as it was happening. And what I think there are five seasons of Parks and Rec. But I, I know I watched everything except for the last season because I was, like, waiting for the last season to come out. And then I finished it after the, the last season finished up. And... I have to say that I did enjoy Parks and Rec for those those first four seasons. Oh, yeah. I was completely, like, flabbergasted by how bad I thought the last season was. Because they do that whole time jump where it's, like, some years in the future. And, like, what? Amy Poehler has kids. Like, everybody's right. lives are different. And I just was so bothered by the fact that, like, every, like, 90% of the jokes in the last season was something like, we're just going to make fun of time has passed and, you know, we can play with the future. And so I remember there was one joke where it's like, oh, can we get, you know, this, can we get like Chick-fil-A to sponsor this? And then some character would be like, yeah, sure. Ever since they got out, got bought out by Elton John. And then they just look directly at the camera. And it's like, is that funny that Elton John, a gay man bought Chick-fil-A that's run by Christians? Like, is that funny just because it's something that wouldn't happen in real life and they're playing with the future? And that was so many of the jokes, and I couldn't stand it. I have gone back and rewatched some of Parks and Rec, the earlier stuff, and I haven't liked it as much. Like, I think I was definitely of a certain mindset when I watched it and enjoyed it. Um, and I think some, you know, like, things getting worn down. Like, I guess the best example is I was on the Ron Swanson bandwagon when that show was on. <laughs> like, I was so into that, like... The crazy stuff with his wife, Megan Mullally, in the show where she was, like, convincing him to, like, get dreadlocks and do crazy shit. Like, I oh, was yeah. all about that. And then I think it just got beaten to death. Like, all the people who were just like, Ron Swanson this, Ron Swanson that. Like, 
like they couldn't separate, you know, Nick Offerman, the, the actor from his character. And I was like, I really want to see him do something else than Ron Swanson. I guess I still kind of love Ron Swanson, but now as I think I get older, I'm just like, some of this is like ridiculous where he's, his whole thing about like the only food you can ever eat is meat. I'm like, I guess that's funny, but like, like vegetables are good. Like if you cook vegetables <laughs> the right way, they're really fucking good. So like, don't give me that shit that you like never eat vegetables. <laughs> So don't give me that shit. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I don't know if we ever talked about Parks and Rec before, but what were your thoughts on, on those shows? I mean, in that kind of comedy light. Like, do you like that type of style, I guess, first off, that mockumentary type of thing? So I'm with you on The Office. Um, Michael is not the character that I find funny. He's just there to set up the other characters. Um, and I think I end up liking the weird characters like, uh, what's the one, what's the creepy old dude, Creed? Oh, sure. <laughs> Whatever his name is. And then I like Ryan, who's just like a super like sociopath, like narcissist type dude. Like I always like those characters where they're just like in their own world and they just are who they are. And like they just they're awkward and hilarious to me. Um, but the rest of everyone else, like Pam and Jim, like they're all right. Dwight's funny. Um, I could definitely got some laughs out of Dwight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not for the reasons I think they wanted me to. I, I think it was sure. I laughed at how outrageous it was, not so much what he's doing. I'm like, man, I would hate to work with someone like that more than <laughs> that guy right there in this episode is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely a good point. I'm I'm glad you brought up Creed because I almost totally forgot about Creed. Creed was probably my favorite character on that show. Like, I think there's some joke where he, he goes to – Ryan's the intern, right? Or like yeah. the, the temp or something like that. Yeah, Ryan's the temp, yeah. Who's in it for, like, the whole time, so he's, like, the most permanent temp in existence or something. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I remember that I'm pretty sure there's some episode where Ryan's, like, Creed wanted me to set up, like, a website for him and a blog. And so he's, like, I just went to his computer and opened a Word document. And it shows Creed, like, just typing in a Word document. And he, like, thinks it's a blog. And I'm, like, I found that very funny for some reason. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. And, that I mean, that stuff is just great. I mean, um Parks and Rec, with their the humor, I feel like they did take a little bit more time to set up their jokes, and they didn't have anyone necessarily be really stupid until, like, Andy showed up, and, oh, yeah. you know, Andy was that stupid guy, but people love those, like, lovable, stupid people, and I think, like, I can't stomach watching someone, like, be the brunt of the jokes, like you said, yeah. and just being made fun of, like, that's just not my style, like, we need more than that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I... I was uh, once again. You reminded me of of Chris Pratt playing Andy because I was trying to repress that from my memory. I hated his character. Just once it's again, it's the the incre- like the one hundred percent fundamentally stupid person that you know the show is just like yeah, but he has a heart of gold, and I'm like I I don't care. And and that brings me to another thing that you know maybe to tie it back to Airplane is the the difference between you know what those those sitcoms those comedy shows did was even though they weren't movies but like we were saying before they are like a story with jokes in them because there was some i would say like soap opera level schmaltz to the office and to parks and rec like definitely the office with the whole like pan i almost said pim and jam jim (laughs) jim and pam where it's like are they together are they not together like once they get married then they're having relationship problems and there's that drama behind it and then, you know, even that whole thing with, like, Michael falls in love 
with some woman at some point. But when he, Couple times. Yeah, and then he like ends up leaving the show because he's with some woman and that type of stuff. And Parks and Rec went overboard, I think, with the whole, like, what, uh, Leslie and, and Ben Wyatt. Uh, oh, yeah. Where it's just, like, them finding out that they love each other, and it's, like, it's just the sappiest shit. And I'm like, nope, I don't want this. I To go back to last month, I want War of the Roses, like... I want couples to hate each other when I watch them on TV. Don't give me that sappy crap. I can't. I cannot see that. It makes my eyes bleed. And see, that's the, and you said that, and that's what this movie is not. It's not Hollywood. It's not the the. You know, I haven't seen this movie. Reminds me a lot of obviously like the scary movies. Oh yeah. And whatnot, but not so much the later scary movies. The original scary movie was well done. That was like my favorite. Um, everything after that was kind of eh. Depends on the humor because they started going towards a lot of that, like someone getting hit on the head, you yeah. know, someone trip and falling. And I'm just like, that stuff's all right. But how many times am I going to watch someone get kicked in the nuts? Like there's just a point where that's no longer funny and I'm just having ghost pains and it's uncomfortable. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, that's a that's a big thing that I feel with. I guess maybe a term for it I, when I was thinking of it is like comedy fatigue. In, in the sense of, like, certain types of comedy, you're exactly right. Like, with that slapstick stuff, like, people getting hit in the nuts, people getting knocked out by stuff, like, maybe that uh, that Three Stooges types of comedy. How many times can you see someone poke another person in the eyes and <laughs> laugh? Like, like sure, it might get you once because it's just, like, unexpected, but it, it's just, like, it wears down thin so quickly. And I definitely feel that way with some other types of comedy. I, I don't think the episodes come out yet, but... Uh, ben and I recently recorded an episode about um, Chasing Amy, the romantic dramedy uh, directed by Kevin Smith. And I have a big issue with that movie and Kevin Smith in general because his type of comedy is, like, let's just take regular situations and, like, realistic characters but make it raunchy as hell. And, you know, I just imagine Kevin Smith sitting in the writing room and he's like, okay, yeah, he writes, like, a regular line of dialogue. And then he's like... How many times can I put the word fuck, pussy, and shit in this sentence? <laughs> and it's like in a two-hour movie, it grates, It starts to grate on me. I'm just like, just have a normal conversation. Like, stop saying, like, fuck rag and cock knocker and all this shit. I'm like, stop it. Like, it wears down you, and I get comedy fatigue for sure. And I think that is a credit to this movie, to Airplane, because I think I get more movie fatigue than comedy fatigue like I definitely hit a point when I was watching this movie maybe like 50 minutes to an hour in when there's like 20 to 30 minutes left where I'm like oh my god like come on like please just just get through it like I get that something's happening just finish the movie because I was just like I know there's just going to be more like ridiculous jokes but they do have this this good way of spreading the jokes around like there isn't a limit on what they'll do. Like, they have that slapstick where, you know, Robert Stack comes into the airport and the religious people are trying to talk to him, and he starts <laughs> punching them and flipping them over. And so you have that violence in your humor. You have all, like, the uh, the language jokes, like the, you know, I'm, I am serious and don't call me Shirley. And uh, another line I really liked where, you know, it's like uh, the old woman says to the main character where he's like, oh, you afraid of flying? And he's like, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. She goes, first time? And he goes, no, I've been nervous lots of times. Nervous? Yes. First time. No, I've been nervous lots of times. Right. And so they got the language jokes. They got the the religious jokes with um you know there's an airplane Jewish Airlines or something or Israel Airlines where the, it has like the yarmulke and the beard of a Hasidic Jew on, 
they got jokes about suicide. They got jokes about sex. They got jokes with subversion. They got jokes with uh, stereotypes. They, there is no limit to what... Oh, there's a bestiality joke. There's some woman in bed with a horse at a certain point. Like, th they do this job of trying to spread it out. So I don't think you get, like, comedy fatigue. It's just you might get fatigued with how fast they're throwing them at you. And that's the one thing I was kind of surprised to see in this movie. I thought it was going to be all that whole wordplay, because I think those are the jokes that have survived from this movie, like the Don't Call Me Shirley, like the whole, the three pilots in the cockpit where they're like, over, over, Roger, Roger, and you know, like, what's your vector, Victor, yeah. and that stuff. Like, that's what I remembered. I, I didn't remember, like, the two little kids acting very formally, and then they're like, he's like, I just saw you sitting here. Would you like some coffee? And she's like, why, yes. And he's like, would you like some sugar? And she goes, no, I like my coffee like I like my men, black. And I'm just like, whoa. Right. I'm like, okay, that came out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> Excuse me. I happened to be passing. I thought you might like some coffee. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Well, won't you sit down? Thank you. Cream? No, thank you. I take it black. Like my man. Man, see, I'm the opposite. I felt like I did get kind of tired. And, and I think the jokes that I didn't like were the, you know, uh, let's go grab some uh, photos and, like, the photographers grab all the photos off the wall. Yeah. Like, those type of things where they're being super literal. Like, I love that in a normal sense, like, in everyday settings. But... Seeing it, like, every five minutes in this movie, I was like, all right, cool. What else can you take figuratively and then turn it literal? And I'm just like, it's kind of an archer thing, you know. You know, you say literally, and they're like, oh, no, figuratively. And they go back and forth in archer all the time, and I, which I seem to like it in archer, but for some reason I don't really like it in this. Yeah, archer's another good example of a, um, you know, more recent relative to this. I know archer's been around for a while now, but... That is, if I remember, I haven't seen Archer in forever, but from what I have seen, that is very much like just language jokes, right? Maybe some yes, like sight exactly. stuff, but that is all very dialogue-heavy comedy and things like that. Which is my favorite, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, where where this movie, oh, you're right, the literal stuff, like the, the shit's gonna hit the fan, and then there's just a yeah. shot of a fan, and shit hits it, and it's like... <laughs> What I, it's like, you know, the, that Arrested Development, you're like, I don't know what I expected. It's like that. That's Arrested Development, there you go. Yep. That's it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I, it's just, it's, like I said, you know, that's, I think that's the comedy that I, I'm with you. Like, the more language-driven comedy, I definitely love. Um, some, some sight gags I like here and there. It depends on the sight gag. But, but a lot of the jokes in this movie, I was just kind of like, you know, I, I think the, a good way to say it is that the stuff that I did laugh at, um, I think it's a Roger a Roger Ebert quote. I don't know if it was about this movie or about Zazz in general, but Roger Ebert said about this type of comedy that these are the jokes that you laugh at twice, where once you laugh at the joke, and then you laugh at yourself for laughing at something so stupid. Exactly. Yeah, like the Mayo <laughs> Clinic. I hated that I laughed at the Mayo Clinic thing. I was like, what? I'm glad you bring that up, that it's like, you almost feel, like, down on yourself when you laugh at some of these jokes, where you're just, like, you, you chuckle, and then you're like, man, why did I laugh at that? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, like, some of that, this, it, it kind of starts to get it get to me, where I'm just like, oh, man. And, and I, I think an, another thing is, like, the comedy that I do truly love is that, or, or maybe I should say, when I find something really funny, I'm more in awe of it than I'll laugh at it. Like, you know, I, I, an example that can't or isn't coming to mind right now, 
but there's some things that I find like so amazingly funny that I'm just like stunned. I'm just like, oh my god, they did that. Where I don't really laugh at them, I'm just more in awe of them, like I said. There's nothing in here, in this movie, that's like that. It's just like, you laugh because you like it, or you laugh because it's stupid and you don't expect it. And I don't really want to say it's lowbrow or, like, dumb humor. It's just a different type of humor than I think that we've now gotten in, like, you know, with the Arrested Developments, with the Archers, with the the uh, the dialogue-driven things, or... Or maybe the, the absurd things like an Aqua Teen Hunger Force or like a, a Freddy Got Fingered where it's just, this is just the craziest thing and that drives more of the comedy than it being actual jokes, that type of stuff. Oh yeah, and I, I like what you had said earlier about them, like they, they weren't afraid to really go places with this. Um, you know, the uncomfortable things like the pilot and the kid, um, oh, just yeah. that whole dialogue, I was like, please stop, please don't, like this is just going way south. Joey, we have something here for our special visitors. Would you like to have it? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Sure. You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. You ever seen a grown man naked? And, um, you know, they just him giving the lady a gynecology exam right in the yep. middle of the plane. Like, he's just doing doctor stuff now. It's like, okay. You know, this is some serious stuff. And I'm just like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, so, yeah, you are definitely right in the uh, – and I, I, I'm glad you bring it up because I want to talk about this. Um, I don't often use the word problematic. Uh, I think that it's applied to a lot of things that it doesn't need to be applied to. But I, I also I, – I wouldn't say that anything in this movie is truly problematic. I think Zaz has gone on record saying that they, you know, with like any good comedian should – you you know you workshop your jokes. You do test screenings for a movie. You, you tell other people if you're stand up or something, and you try to see if you're crossing any lines. Like if something's too offensive, too too many people, or things like that. Right. And I I don't think anything in this movie is you know wholly problematic. Um, I I think the closest thing for me is the Robert Graves or uh, sorry Peter Graves as the pilot saying like you know. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? Where it's like, oh, oh yeah. it's like, okay, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, <laughs> have you ever been in a in a Turkish prison, Joey? And it's just like, okay. But one of the things that I'm surprised by is, especially in today's day and age, when so many people, you know, want to maybe not so many people, but some vocal group of people want to go back and look at previous things, specifically in comedy, and apply today's standards to them. This movie seems to have, like, a bulletproof vest. Like, I've never heard, like, oh, man, airplane is problematic. Like, we got to cut this scene at an airplane. Like, it's all good except for this sexism, this racism, this, you know, pedophilia joke. I've never heard that with airplane. And I was trying to look at, you know, online to see if anybody had really ever said anything like that. And I couldn't find much. Like, usually you see those articles where someone's like, you know, yeah, you know, we liked that movie back in the 90s, but... Uh, chasing Amy again. It's like, yeah, that was really, you know, lauded as a as a very successful new type of romantic comedy when it came out in 1997. But now it's really problematic with the way it represents homosexuality. And it's like you hear that all the time with movies, where it's like, man, that movie doesn't hold up as well because it's so sexist, racist, homophobic, anything. Nothing like that for this movie. And I definitely think the pedophilia thing is something that should get some attention. I am shocked that I don't hear more about the the jive talking scenes in this movie. That yeah. And and you know, I I think that those are the two big examples where it's like this movie has like a bulletproof vest. Like nobody wants to touch this movie because it's held in such high regard. So, what did you think about those two? The the pedophilia guy 
and the jive talking scenes. So I know originally, like when I was when I first saw it, I thought the jive talking thing was just hilarious, and I I didn't really take any offense to it. I was like, you know, that's funny. Like I've I've just I don't know what they're saying, but like I do know what they're saying, and like I get it. Slang exists, you know. Urban culture is what it is. But then I was like, man, like nowadays, like that's messed up. Like they they can't do that. Yeah. Like they don't need subtitles. They're speaking English. Like you know. But then I'm like. There is definitely a culture difference, and there's definitely confusion, but the way that they put displayed it in the movie, um, I feel like they're using comedy to kind of hide the whole, we're not quite sure what's going on in the, you know, black community, but we're also trying to figure out, like, where we fit as, you know, Caucasian folks and how we all blend together. And then there's the whole, the, the older white lady that starts speaking jive, and she's all cool, and it's like, She's she's all about it. And so I, yeah. I feel like they kind of touched on it and they brought it back home saying there are just certain people that aren't cool and there are certain people that are and there's certain people that are just more flexible with cultures. And I feel like humor back then was just kind of used as a way to like talk about the things that people don't really want to talk about without sure. still talking about it. That's that's a I'm glad. That's a really good way to say that because I was trying to put my my finger on it and really nail it down where it's like in the context of the movie, you know, I feel like cancel culture today is that they would just take like the first jive scene and be like, this is bad. You know, this is this is making fun of a, a group of people that, you know, for a reason we don't want where in the context of the movie, I was trying to put my finger on. It's like there's it's not really a race thing. It is that cool or uncool type of thing. Because one, in the first scene where they're talking jive, we have the subtitles, and the subtitles are as white as possible. Like, right. Like, you know, I, the, the, one, the one that really, like, got me is that at the end of that first scene, one of the guys goes, shit, and the subtitle is, golly. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm like that, I'm like, they're doing that juxtaposition. And then, like you said, you have that old woman who's like, you know, oh, excuse me, miss, I speak jive. And then she's able to, like, communicate with them, and we still have, like, the whitest subtitles. And so it's not like it's just making fun of one race or anything like that. It's that juxtaposition of something that expands beyond that, that cool or not cool, for sure. And I was trying to put my, my – hit the nail on the head, and I think you did it, it with that description exactly. That, that golly line, the subtitle got me. <laughs> and it's one of those things, too, that, you know, like, it's one of those you have to sit back and be honest, like – yeah, you know, we're not different per se, like equality wise, right? But we're different in cultures and that's mm -hmm. okay. Where I think that's where the movie's like, you know, we are different. There there are differences and that's just, we'd be silly to pretend like there aren't. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, you're exactly right. It works well for the jive stuff. I don't think that any time, uh, yeah, right. the, the yeah, 80s, the 2000, 2020, anything, the pedophilia jokes, that does not pour it over well. Because... No, they took that a little too far. Like, <laughs> yes. It's one thing to be creepy, but the like whoever wrote that, I wanted to be like, hey, where did you get these these lines from? You know, did did something happen to you? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just it, that was probably the the part of the movie that didn't hold up the the it held up the least for me because I'm just like this is like is this funny? Like, I I I guess another thing to say is that of all the lines I've heard quoted from this movie. I've never heard those lines quoted. Like, I've never been out somewhere and, like, talking about, like, comedy. And someone will be like, you know, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Like, and referencing this movie. I feel like if, if you heard someone do that, be like, 
that's not the line you should be quoting from that movie. <laughs> so the closest thing I've ever come to that similar joke actually being hilarious, and hopefully listeners, you know, don't think this is inappropriate, but in an episode of Broad City, they're sitting in the dog park, right? Mm-hmm. And the lady's like, oh my God, which dogs are yours? And they're like, oh, we, we don't have any dogs. We're just here to watch. And the lady's like, um, you need to leave. And they're like, why do we need to leave? And she's like, because you don't have any dogs. And, he, and so then the response is, what do you think we're going to do? Molest your dogs? <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, you guys can't be here if you don't have dogs. We have dogs. We got dogs. Where are your dogs? Where are your dogs? Right here. All right. Just yeah. Well, great. Happy. I'm so happy for you. You know, we're not gonna molest your dogs unless we were dogs. <laughs> and that was hilarious to me. But otherwise, in any other situation, I'd be like, no, those jokes are not funny ever. <laughs> that see, that's interesting. And I, I think also before you hit like the the punchline of that joke, I think it's set up well because it, it made me think that they're they're poking fun at the the more. Um, I guess you know, parent scare type of idea of you know if you're at, if you're at a park with your kids, and you know it's like a playground and there's a bunch of parents, a bunch of kids. If there's someone sitting there that doesn't have kids, everybody's going to be like, "What are you doing here?" Right. <laughs> and so it, they're they're crafting the joke with that, but with a dog park, and then you're like taking it back to, "What do you think? You're going to molest our your dog?" See that that's clever. There's there's like something that it's commenting on. I feel <laughs> where I I don't maybe in the '80s there was this idea that pilots were pedophiles no that sounds that sounds so absurd that that you know that couldn't have been like a pilot stereotype or anything like that i think it goes back to the whole like you know oh let your kids go into the cockpit and then the pilot's like oh come sit on my lap and it's like uh you you would only let your kid do it because you trust that it's a pilot but it's a weird thing to do to like give your kid to some stranger just because they're a pilot that's a really good point. I didn't think about that where it's like, you know, because I, I can't imagine that happens today with all the security guidelines of planes now. But like back in the day, I've definitely heard of that. Like a kid would go up and see the cockpit, you know, like show off the, the plane to these little kids. And didn't they used to remember they used to give out like wings, the little pins. Right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's a good idea that maybe they're making fun of the idea that like this you're these parents are letting these kids just go into this small room with grown adults like without true supervision or anything so yeah maybe that's the joke is that it's it's insulting the parents who just give their kids to these adults and it's just like yeah yeah that's i don't know that's a weird one (laughs) that definitely makes it seem better as a joke it's not just like oh this dude's a pedophile that's funny you know (laughs) (laughs) it definitely gives some context to it but i don't think we have any way of knowing if that's just us needing to rationalize a pedophilia joke or if it was actually the the concept back in the 80s (laughs) well i know in uh always sunny in philadelphia that didn't go over too well when they were they had a few episodes touching on that subject it was it was definitely (laughs) frowned upon okay okay cancer jokes and there there's a lot that they touched on that they probably shouldn't have gotten away with yeah oh that's the truth for sure yeah and that that's another type of comedy that pushes it in terms of you know just uh, i i feel like I, I read it and multiple people described it's always sunny in philadelphia it's like it's the show about the worst people in existence 
Oh yeah, big like time. like and and they own that, and I think that's where a lot of the comedy comes from, uh, for sure. But yeah, the, isn't it one of the earliest episodes? Like you said, the cancer jokes where Charlie just like lies about having cancer, and it's just yep. like, okay, they're doing that, you know. <laughs> uh, what's it? It's um, I know they get flack for. I think it's like the first or second season. I'm pretty sure the episode title is like D dates a retarded person. Yep, like that—that sure that is. is just the name of the episode, and then they—that's like the whole premise as well. And it's like, okay, you know, they're—they're they're really going for it, and still, even then, like it started in what 2005, 2006. That—that that was still like not the the a super acceptable. It was you know more acceptable than it is today, but it wasn't super acceptable. <laughs> I feel like that was the start of all of this culture's change when our age group started being able to understand what was going on in the world. <laughs> <laughs> sure sure oh oh man yeah so yeah those those two i think were the most i don't think there were any others that i really was like this doesn't stand up or or maybe not stand up but um you know once again maybe problematic isn't the right way to say it but uh, maybe uh things that wouldn't be made today like i don't think you get the pedophilia jokes in in your script like the the studio would cross that out with a big red marker uh, the jive scene would get crossed out by somebody at the studio i don't think there was really anything else that would have been like you know, not allowed. Even the, what, the the nun is playing the guitar and she, like, takes, knocks the tubes out of the dying girl. Like, that's totally right. fine. Like, that that would, that probably still exists. Like, someone's made a comedy in the last year about, like, a child getting hurt in some way, I'm sure. Like, that's still fine for some reason. <laughs> I love the one scene, though, where the guy offers the one lady whiskey and she just starts snorting uh, cocaine or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, that's so hilarious he me. has the flask and he's like you want some and she's like oh i never and then she just has like the coke on the mirror and she's just oh yeah that that was definitely the my only issue with that joke was that she snorts the coke and then she, like she does the whole like you know she has two lines she does one line of each nostril and then she like touches her nose and there's like this weird little jingly sound effect like like little oh, bells and i'm like what i'm like why is there sound effect like we don't need that for this joke would you like a little whiskey man Certainly not. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so those are the, the problematic parts of this movie. Um, one thing that I just was totally, like, uh, you know, of course we're talking a lot about subjective things with this, where it's like, some jokes landed for us, some jokes didn't. The thing that I was just like, this did not work for me. Like, I, I hated it so much that I was just, beyond, I didn't enjoy it. I was like, this is just not funny at all, and I, I don't see why it made sense, is the very flamboyant airline controller. Like, the guy who's just like, you know... It's a twister. It's a twister. And he, he goes to the uh, the news reporter, and they're like, how's the plane? He's like, it's a very big, white, pretty plane. He's, like, dancing around in the background. Do you yeah. remember this dude? I didn't like any of that. I didn't think any of it was funny. I didn't think any of it fit in the whole, like, context of what was going on. And apparently the guy, so the actor is Steven Stucker, who is a was a comedian back in the day. Apparently he ad-libbed all of his lines. And I'm like, oh, that's why none of them work, because they didn't write them for him. They, didn't, they weren't, like, crafted jokes. They just let him do whatever he wanted on set, lending more credence to that idea of it's just a stand-up routine. What, what right. did you think of that dude and his—they're not even 
like I didn't write them down and none of them are even memorable to me. <laughs> yeah, I, it just didn't play any role in anything for me. Like I, until you said that guy, I was like, I don't even remember who you're talking about. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, that guy. Yeah. I remember the inflatable dummy guy more than that guy. Yes. Yeah. The uh, Otto, the Otto, the autopilot, because he's credited as Otto at the end of the movie. They're like, and introducing Otto as himself. <laughs> that, you're totally right. He has more character than this airline controller. And I, I have to say, I do like those those sex jokes with the inflatable doll, like groping <laughs> Julie Haggerty and like when she's uh, reinflating him and Leslie oh, Nielsen God. comes in and he's like, OK, and he goes back out. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, there's some raunchy jokes in here, and those are fine. And they're smoking cigarettes after she reinflates them. And yeah. I'm like, this is interesting. Like they're doing this with an inflatable, like doll that just you know looks. It has it has human features, but its head is just you know round type of thing. And and I'm like, that's fine. You know, I, those were the jokes that I kind of chuckled at, and I was like, yeah, that's that's some silly nonsense, but it made me laugh for sure. So I I guess on the topic, Julie Haggerty. The first thing, as I always comment on a lot of uh, a lot of people in these movies as they come up, Julie Haggerty, I've known for a long time, probably because of this movie. Her voice is crazy, right? Like Julie, ha- the main female lead, uh, Elaine, in this movie, she has that very raspy, like not really deep. It's like high pitched but raspy at the same time. Thirty five thousand feet. No, wait, thirty four thousand. No, it's dropping. It's dropping fast. Why is it doing that? Oh my god, the automatic pilot, it's deflating! Very interesting voice. Have you seen her in anything else? Or do you remember seeing her in anything else? No, I'm terrible with names and faces and people. <laughs> so, so um, Julie Haggerty, I don't think she's been in a bunch of stuff, but uh, I really liked her... She's uh, the babysitter, Jamie's babysitter in Malcolm in the Middle. After they have the fifth kid, she's, like, on it for a while as his babysitter. Um, But there is an episode of Law & Order SVU where Julie Haggerty is a child protective services agent or something like that. (laughs) Or not a – maybe not CPS, but, like, a caseworker. And the crime is, like, some kid that's in a foster home gets killed – and they're looking into, like, was it the adoptive parents? And they, they go to Julie Haggerty, who is supposed to be his caseworker, and they find that she was, like, uh, forging documents and, like, saying she was checking on the kid when she actually wasn't. And it's one of those episodes where it's, like, these, these New York City child caseworkers are overloaded. Like, they can't get to all the children, like, all that stuff. But Julie Haggerty is, like, she gets – I think she gets convicted or she gets in trouble and fired from her job. And people are, like, calling her house and tormenting her because they're like, you're the reason this kid died. You should have done your job. So there's a <laughs> scene where Julie Haggerty, like, pulls out a gun and straight up puts it on her on her heart. Like, doesn't blow her head off. She puts it to her chest and shoots herself. Oh, wow. And it's like, that's, I'm like, that's the most law and order SVU way to kill yourself. It's like, you're going to shoot yourself in the heart. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the, the Malcolm in the Middle, Law and Order SVU, where she kills herself, and this. That's where I know Julie Haggerty from. <laughs> uh, once again, you're right. She's just kind of straight-laced, you know, nothing no, nothing really comedic other than, you know, the lines she has to say. And, of course, she's put against Robert Hayes, who is unknown when this movie comes out, and I think still unknown to this day, as the, the pilot, as you said in your summary, the pilot who has to figure out how to land this plane. And he's he's all right, you know, I... I don't really think anybody steals the show in this movie, maybe with the exception of Leslie Nielsen as the doctor, because it's just such a an iconic performance, but it's, you know, 
now what we what he's done in you know the last you know 20 years i know he's dead but i, don't, I think he died in like late 2000s maybe but but yeah there, there's no real performance in this movie that's amazing it's like we were saying before it's a uh, it's jokes with a light wrapper of a movie so you're not really looking for performances to to make uh, make the comparison you know it's like when you watch freddy got fingered whether you love it or hate it or you know really hate it because there are some people that really hate that movie <laughs> you you just have to be like amazed by what tom green is doing like tom green as gordy in that movie is like he's he's going all out like you cannot say that you know you, he didn't put in a performance because you know he like jacks off a horse in that movie he whips that girl in the wheelchair like when she's like just cane my legs and you know he does all that stuff and he puts in the performance we're here. It's just like people are just reading lines, you know. Like people are just are just doing and going through the motions. It seems, and and I I just want more from my comedies. And I know, that Freddie Got Fingered is going to come up so much this month talking about these comedies because I still to this day hold Freddie Got Fingered in very high regard. Lashawn, did you? <laughs> I I don't remember exactly. You didn't hate it, did you? Did you enjoy it? Or it was? I know you had some problems with it. <laughs> There were some scenes that, that definitely made me laugh, but for the most of it, I was just like, what is happening? Where is this movie going, and why is this a movie? And, that, is, uh, that is like the pinnacle of absurdity. <laughs> yeah, you laughing made me enjoy it, and I was like, you know, this is this is funny. You know, I don't know why, but it's you just laugh at it. Have a good time. Oh, yeah. Like I mentioned before, I remember for some reason, I just remember like us in the dorms going around to each other and being like, What's that sound? It's my hooves! It's my hooves! <laughs> and, like, after a certain point, everyone was like, shut up. Ah, you hear the funny sound? You hear the funny sound? It's my hooves! It's my hooves! My hooves! My hooves! Ah. Like, stop saying this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. So, so yeah, uh, I whatever, however we got off on that tangent. Yeah, the, the Steven Stucker ad-libbing his lines, that, that does not do much for me for sure I, I another thing i wanted to bring up with this this whole idea of comedy is i think you mentioned something along the lines of it a little earlier but but i was thinking of it as you know uh, the timelessness of certain jokes like i definitely think that this movie has some staying power because a lot of its jokes are you know timeless that you know they're not really heavily based in something you need to know to understand now sure I do want to talk about how this movie does have some stuff that if you don't know what it is, you will just not get it. But, you know, like the I have a drinking problem joke, that's timeless. You don't need to, you don't need to know anything. You don't need to have seen another movie to get that joke. You will you get it as well if you watch it today as if you watched it back in 1980. And I think that, you know, when you mentioned the later scary movies, they definitely lose that fact. Like I think like what, Scary Movie 4 or 5 – or maybe even when they went off in those those terrible other parodies, like what there's disaster movie, date oh, movie, uh, yeah, um, like uh, the the rip, like the the spoof movies of all these new age things. Like there's one, what there's one called like Vampires Suck, and it's the parody of Twilight and like teen teen dramas and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that yeah, those are rough because it's like they're parodying things that you would have to like know what movies came out that year or something along those lines. And I haven't seen a lot of those, but I remember, I think I've seen, like, Date Movie, and it's just so entrenched in references. There's no, like, true timeless jokes in those types of movies. Now, now I'm not saying that, you know, a, time, a, a non-timeless joke can't be funny, 
And and this was the thing that stood out to me because the the one of the things that I laughed a lot at in this movie, it wasn't a joke I remembered, but for some reason I think it hit me the hardest, was the Ethel Merman joke. And so it's when um they they're in the flashback or um the guy and the girl, it's the guy after the war, and it's going around like the hospital ward, and the guy's saying like, oh. Like, he thinks he's still in the war. And it shows, cuts to the dude who's, like, in his hospital bed, and he's like, gotta get in the bunker! He's, like, imitating shooting people. And Mm -hmm. then there's the joke after it where it's like, oh, that's Sergeant whatever. He thinks he's Ethel Merman. And it cuts to actually Ethel Merman get out of the hospital bed singing Everything is Coming Up Roses. And they, like, have (laughs) to take this old woman back into the hospital bed. And that, for some reason, that got me. Like, I loved that joke. And I don't know really what it was, if it was just the fact that they actually had Ethel Merman. Oh. Oh. What's his world? It's Lieutenant Hurwitz. Severe shell shock. Thinks he's Ethel Merman. You'll be swell. You'll be great. Gonna have the whole world on a plate. Starting here. Start now. Honey, everything's coming up but but this joke is not timeless like i'm sure that joke didn't do much for you because you know i think i'm with you i was like who the fuck is ethel merman like i don't know who ethel merman is like i just gather that she was a singer and an actress but for some reason that joke worked for me so it's it's not to say that non-timeless jokes don't work but i'm sure if someone like knew who ethel merman was in the 80s that joke played a lot better did that joke stand out to you at all? Do you know who Ethel Merman is? I didn't mean to, like, put you into a certain box or anything. No, that joke went over my head. I'm okay. not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the, the true essence of it definitely went over my head. But just something about an old woman getting out of a hospital bed and starting to sing, and the doctors have to, like, push her back in, I found that very funny for some reason. <laughs> so so th- this whole idea about timelessness is something that I know... Um, gets poked at on some instances of the the film critique and movie review YouTube channel called Red Letter Media. Do you know anything about Red Letter Media, LaShawn? Have you ever heard of them on YouTube or anything like that? No. So they're, they're very popular, I would say. Uh, they get tons of views, that stuff. They do a few different things where they review, like, new movies. They'll do that, um, like, watch some, like, bad B-movies on VHSs, that type of stuff. But one of the things they do is just, like, discussions like very podcast style um but there's video to it where they review kind of movies that they they love or they don't love or something like older movies that they want to talk about and i like watching those because i like those ideas you know i don't really care about people's thoughts on newer movies and and i'm definitely one of those people where i hate just watching other people laugh at bad movies like i i want to laugh at bad movies i don't want to watch other people laugh at bad movies (laughs) <laughs> um, but when I watch their reviews on these older movies, they've done a few comedies that I really love. Like I, they've done Freaked, which is still one of my favorite comedies of all time. Um, they've done UHF, the Weird Al movie. Uh, they've done Top Secret, which is another Zaz movie, and I a, a Zaz movie I really like, which I think is way better than Airplane. But whenever they talk about comedies, they talk about this idea of timelessness, and they're like. Like, why are these jokes referencing something that people are going to forget? And I, they've brought up many times the, the joke from Scary Movie 2 where it's parodying a Nike commercial. And the Nike commercial was like a bunch of people playing basketball. Like, it's a basketball court with just a spotlight on it. And they would have athletes 
like just dribbling and like doing crazy dribbles and maybe like you know doing fun acrobatic things with the basketball. And Scary Movie 2 parodies this, where it's like all the characters are doing something goofy with the basketball. And I think, like, at one point, the character in the wheelchair in Scary Movie 2 is, like, breakdancing, but he's in his wheelchair. And Right, I remember that scene. Yeah, yeah. and so they ref- Red Letter Media references this, and they're like, they're like, this is not comedy, because if you don't know that commercial, you're never going to get the joke. And I have a problem with that, because no, like... I don't know the commercial, but I can find somebody in a wheelchair breakdancing funny, you know? I don't know who Ethel Merman is, but I can still laugh at that. Like, like non-timelessness doesn't make the joke not a joke or a bad joke or anything like that. And then I, I feel like they talk about it in this kind of way where, you know, I, I think they mention it in Top Secret where they're like, these Zazz jokes are timeless. You don't need to know a reference to get them. But even Zazz did this. You know, the Ethel Merman thing... I think there's an even better example. Do you remember in Airplane, there's that line where, like, the, the stewardess comes around with coffee, and she's like, would you like another cup of coffee? And the woman's like, I'll have one, but Jim won't. And he goes, yeah, no, I'll have another cup of coffee. And it zooms in on the woman, and her internal monologue is like, Jim never has a second cup of coffee at home. And that's it. Like, that's, that's the scene. Would either of you like another cup of coffee? I will, but Jim won't. I think I will have another cup of coffee. Jim never has a second cup of coffee at home. And it's like, I don't understand if that's funny, but apparently that's a direct reference to a Yubin coffee commercial that was popular in the late 70s. Oh, sure you can't stay for more coffee? It's late, and Jim never has a second cup. You know, I'd love another cup. Jim never had seconds of my coffee, and I made pretty good coffee. But that night, we both discovered Yuban. Uban special coffee because it's made with special beans. This this blows Red Letter Media's whole concept and thought out of the water because that joke is clearly referencing something that nobody past the '90s will ever understand. I had never yeah. even heard of Uban coffee before. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I I I have a I've talked about it here. I have like a love hate relationship with Red Letter Media. Some things they do are just like so close minded and or maybe not close minded, but like very pinpoint train of thought that I don't like. Some of their stuff I, I definitely agree with. But this whole thing I've been seeing where they're like, you know, they the, this demand for timelessness in jokes where it's like that's their big issue with comedies of today. And it's like, sure, you can have an issue with it, but it's not comedies of today. Like this, this is like the capstone comedy for all comedies, Airplane. And they're referencing things. They're referencing yeah. this stupid coffee commercial that nobody knows. <laughs> So, so yeah, I just, I just had to get that out there, that this whole timelessness is it's, – it's a good hallmark for comedy, but it's not necessary at all. So take that red-letter media, your, you know, 500,000 views a video, take that from this, you know, like hundreds of downloads podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're going after Goliath here, LaShawn. <laughs> oh, one of my humors or one of the humorous things that I found that was like that made me die was like the uh, the translations from like the English to Spanish on the around the plane. Like I love those like no on a deceit belt or yeah. something like that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on a deceit belts. And I was like, can you make jokes like that? Is that OK? Is that is that rude? <laughs> so, oh, that's it. A- See, that's a good point because I feel like that's something that we definitely, or our generation, people our age, that we kind of grew up with that. Where I remember, like, uh, when I was in high school 
and I took Italian in New York. You know, we had to take a language. I took Italian as my language, and it was the just the running joke for all of high school and all of Italian class was that if you didn't know how to translate a word, just put O at the end of it. Like you know, you don't know how to say like you know, and you put an Italian accent. You'd be like, oh, the like. The, the seatbelto, you know, that type of thing. And right. it's like everybody would do that. And I'm sure there was equivalents for the kids that were in, like, Spanish classes and German classes and, and stuff like that. And it's like today, like, can you do that? Like, is that offensive? Like, would an Italian per Like, our teacher got angry, but I think she was angry more because she didn't want us to be stupid. She actually wanted to learn <laughs> the language, you know. But, like, would an Italian person be like, that's offensive because you're just, like, making fun of the fact that there's, like, so many words in the language just have O at the end of it. Even though I, well, I don't know. I think Italian came before English. I don't know for sure, though. But that's a good question. Like, is is that another problematic joke these days? Like, can we really make this, this language, like, spin our words around to make it seem like it's from another language? I guess so. I mean... As a as a white man, I'm definitely an expert on this. Everybody knows that. But if that's offensive to anybody, like, it's offensive to the language. Like, it's not really offensive to people who speak that language because every language is not just spoken by, like, one specific group of people, right? You're not making just, like, if you're making fun of the Spanish language, it's not like you, you can't say you're making fun of only Mexicans. You can't say you're making fun of only Spaniards. Like, right? It seems like there's a disconnect from the people to the language there. That's at least how I see it. I'm I'm torn on this one. I I see what you're saying, but at the same time, I'm like, it's. <laughs> I don't even know how to process this one. Like, <laughs> hell no, I use smoko. Like, don't no smoking. Like, that's just hilarious to me. But I know that like, I've been taught that if you're gonna say things like that, it's just insens. It's just rude and insensitive to just destroy someone else's language because language now has become part of a culture, which that's what they take it as and so i think in that sense it's wrong and i don't think you can make jokes like that anymore that, that's a good point that the language is like linked to that culture for sure that that's a really good point um i guess maybe to flip it around uh it definitely well you know once again me not being offended by something doesn't mean it's inherently non-offensive but i've never had a problem when like you know People make fun of the English language, but at the same time, it's not the English language so much as the American accent, you know? I feel like that gets made fun of a lot more than – I don't even – I can't even think of, like, an American – an English joke or something like that. Like, what? Somebody have to make a joke about, like, homonyms, how, like, there, there, and there are three different words, you know? But, right, but that's but not the same. Like, you can't, like, okay. put O at the end of everything. You can't, you know – like, uh, I guess, like, the closest thing, it's not language, but, you know, you have all those people who are, like, uh, Murica, like, memes again. You know, they don't say America. They have that meme of Murica, M-U-R-I-C-A. And and that's just more of, once again, the accent, I think. Like, the down south, like, this is Murica type of thing. I can't remember what movie it was. It might have been in uh, Master of None on Netflix or something. Mm -hmm. But I want to say there's a scene where someone European... And they're like, oh, I can do an American accent. And they're like, I would like uh, small fries with my burger and a large, you know, cola. Yeah. And something like that. And it was just like, oh, oh, is that what you think Americans sound like? <laughs> and then I was just like, it is what they sound like. But then I can imagine people being like, oh, you know, Europeans are making fun of us. It's like, well, yeah, but also, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're definitely right. I, I think, you know, with the, like I was saying, the accent of Americans, like, uh, Americans make fun of the French accent all the time, you know? There's, uh, but maybe that's the trade-off. It's like Italian, you, you're, you're able to put O at the end of everything and, like, make fun of it that way. Where French, you can't really do that because French is such a different sounding language than, you know, our, our Italian, our English, our Spanish, which are all, like, fairly similar. French has so much more flow to it, I would say, that you have to make fun of the accent and, like, the ha ha ha, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> and, and once again, you're, I think you're right. You're, you're, you're kind of swaying me to the idea that this one's super tough because language and culture are so deeply intertwined that it's like, how can you separate those two for sure? I, I'm trying to think of a recent example, but nothing comes to mind where it's like there's been a language joke like that. I, I think the most recent one is that American-type stuff I've seen where it's like, um, you know, making fun of people in, in, like, Texas or something like that, like the Texas accent I've, I've heard more recently. But, but you're, that's a good point. Like, is that problematic? Like, would that not fly today? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like everyone is looking at things from a different, you know, lens than we used to. And so it's it's hard to do comedy. Like, I just don't know how you even, like, I, I respect the comedians that still try um, Definitely. to touch on things that they know may not go over well. Um, even if you sit there and you warn your audience, hey, you know, these are jokes. This means nothing. I'm, I don't feel this way about anything. But it's all stuff we've observed in the world, and I'm just po- poking fun at it. But still, you can all it takes is one person, and now the joke's no longer funny. Yep. Well, I guess the joke could still be funny, but sure. it's not appropriate. Yeah. Sure, yeah. It all comes down to, yeah, you know, because that, that's one of the things I'm so interested in comedy is that it is so subjective, and then it can get these crazy extreme responses from people in the sense of, you know, they love it and they're laughing hysterically, or they hate it and it needs to, like, be erased from the face of the earth type of thing. It, it's very interesting to me, but... It's not something I – I mean, what we're doing right now and, and have done in this episode with, like, the pedophilia and the jive talking is looking at something from the ni- from 1980 and trying to apply today's lens to it. And I don't, I don't think that's always a good thing, but it's an interesting idea, like in this case. Like, we're talking about these things, and I think it's okay to do that, where if you're going back just looking for reasons to cancel something – then don't do it. Like, it, it should be more of an academic exercise, like I think we're describing it as, rather than a, like, you know, oh, is this bad? Is this, should we never, like, give this credit again? And I think, you know, even though it's not comedy, I know I've talked about it a lot on here before, um, and I don't, I don't know if it's ever come up with you, LaShawn, on recording, but uh, R. Kelly. R. Kelly is a terrible person. Like, I am totally on board from everything we've heard about R. Kelly from the the weird docudramas that, it, like, Lifetime has aired about him, which I've seen. Like, he's a terrible person. Right. But I, even though he's a terrible person, like, I don't think that we should erase or eradicate his music. Like, I definitely take that stance where I can separate the art from the artist. Now, it would be a different story. Like, if R. Kelly came out and he was like, yeah, you know, I believe I can fly? A hundred percent about pedophilia. Like, I wrote that song with pedophilia in mind. That would be a different story. But there, there is no argument to be like, I Believe I Can Fly is a song about bad things. Like, that is a very motivational song. And just because the artist is a terrible person, why does that mean that song should never be listened to again? What are, what are your thoughts on that, on that whole art from artist thing? How do you feel about that? So I had this discussion the other day because I was uh, riding around and I was listening to Chris Brown and I was like, oh, man, sure. like, 
you know, and I went to change it, and the person I was writing with was like, no, let it play. And I was like, oh, but, you know, like, he beats women, so I don't want to support his music. And they're like, well, I went through that, but also I realized I really like his music, so it's okay. And I was like, I'm putting more money into his pocket by, like, increasing his popularity by giving him listens on Spotify. So I felt like I was enabling him. And this person was like, no, like, he's already doing great in life. You're not going to change anything now. We've already supported him to the point where he's a celebrity and he's famous and he's living well. So why not just enjoy the music knowing that you're not going to beat women or anything like that? I'm like, well, I don't know. So I'm still torn on this. this whole that see, that's. That's something that I've always had difficulty really nailing down is the support because that's the thing that always comes up. It's like it's like if you if you listen to this or, or you know something like that, you're supporting it. And I definitely think you know if you're listening to R. Kelly on Spotify, which I don't think you can do anymore. I think they have removed <laughs> R. Kelly from Spotify or or at least a lot of his stuff. Then then you are absolutely right. You are supporting him to some extent because these people get paid for their plays on Spotify. I. You know, I take Trapped in the Closet, for example, his his hip opera, you know, his two hours that like 33 tracks where it's the same E major chord every single track. And he does all the voices. We actually have an episode on uh, Trapped in the Closet from like two years (laughs) ago. Check it out like that. That still is on YouTube, but I like have it downloaded like I have a file that is all of the videos like crammed into one. And so if I ever play that on my hard drive. There's no true support that's going on. And, you know, when I listen to my music that's just on my phone locally, because I don't listen to Spotify all that much for music. I'm more, I use it for podcasts. I'm, I've always been like, I'm not really supporting them. And I'm also not one of the people, I'm never going to go around and go, man, you got to check out Trapped in the Closet. Because <laughs> I know that if I do that, somebody's going to be like, isn't that that R. Kelly thing? And Trapped in the Closet is also very problematic, like making fun of little people and things like that. So, you know, right. I... I that's the the support has been something I've always been torn on where it's like there is this difference between support and not support, but you bring up the interesting idea of, you know, spreading it around to people, you know, like, uh, like if I listen to say, you know, R Kelly music and it just happens to come on shuffle when I'm like hanging around with people and someone's like, Oh, who is this? And it's like, it's R Kelly. And we get into this discussion. I guess that is in some way, some sense of support. Like you said, the spreading or introducing other people to, their music that's that's interesting once again i think it comes down to me that's that separation of art from artists like uh, like i said you know there's there's no way you can make an argument that like this song is about pedophilia or this song is about you know peeing on somebody or you know <laughs> this song is about you know uh, uh, belittling women or something like that and and i if the song is about that then definitely i would not like it you know but the thing that I've always said is, you know, let's say we do this. Let's say we, 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 like, cancel R. Kelly. We try our best to take all of his music off the face of the earth. I think it's a safe assumption that that can never happen. I'm living proof of that. Like, no one's going to come to my house and take a magnet to my hard drive where I have, you know, I believe I can fly on my hard drive. That's never going to happen. So these things will exist for some, some way, shape, or form. Let's right. say, like, 40 years from now, a kid who has no notion and no knowledge of who R. Kelly is, finds the song, I Believe I Can Fly, and then they like that song. What do we do to that kid? Do we, like, is he a bad person for liking that song? 
is he a bad person for supporting R. Kelly and not knowing who R. Kelly is? Like that's I, I feel like that the the extension of of this cancel culture is what people aren't thinking about. And of course, this my satirical mind is like, oh, well, we have to execute the kid. Like the kid's clearly going to be a bad person. <laughs> he likes an R. Kelly song. We're trying to cancel R. Kelly. We need to kill this person who likes R. Kelly. That's of course a very satirical thing to say. Of course, and joking. You know, don't cinemodities, folks. Don't kill your children just because they like music. But <laughs> but how do we go into the future with cancel culture? Like how do we? We can never truly eradicate something. So it's kind of like, what's the point? Like we need some. Separation. We can't can't cancel people wholly. We need some separation between art and artist. I feel if all that makes some sense. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I'm like I said, I'm still torn on it, and I know if someone, if it was a friend of mine who did something, then yeah, I'm gonna change how I support them. So I know at the end of things, I know what's right or wrong, and I can listen to music and know that just because this person did this, um, what they did in the studio is what I'm worried about right now, and. That's it. So I'm, I try to keep it that way. Same it's, with this movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. You know, if it if you were coming on here, LaShawn, you were like, man, I love Chris Brown. I love the way he beats Rihanna. Like, that picture was great. I'd be like, okay, that's going to change my thought process when talking to you for sure. But there's, right. a, there's a difference. For, there's a huge difference, I would say, from that and then being like, you know, I like some song. I don't even know Chris Brown that well, so I can't even think of a – a song of his to to reference. And it's just kind of like, that song is not about beating women, as far as I know. So what's wrong with liking that? I think there's a big difference between, like, liking the music and, like you said, liking what's in the studio versus what's in, you know, the artists in his downtime and his real life and what he does to people and things like that. This is a great... We got off on cancel culture hardcore right there. <laughs> now, now this is exactly what I was looking for. I'm glad that we got somebody who watched Airplane for the first time in you, LaShawn. And I'm also, I can also probably... I would bet money that of all the podcasts on Airplane out there, they don't get into R. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Guarantee they don't. <laughs> all right. That's, that's what we like here on Cinemodities. So, so I, guess, I guess with that, we could take a little bit of turn, maybe some more lighthearted things. Uh, were there other funny things you wanted to point, it out, point out about this movie or any jokes that you like? I usually say any scenes you want to point out, but there aren't scenes in this movie. There's jokes. <laughs> no, it's just really, like you said, a bunch of stuff in the background. You know, like um, I remember the one scene where he's in the comic store or the magazine store. And the the one title, instead of being like, oh, this is porn, it was whacking material. Yes. And, like, I just love those little things. Or um, whenever the reporters were talking to the one guy, someone was holding an ice cream cone instead of a microphone. Like, just little stupid things. I'm just like, all right, that's pretty funny. I don't know why. It's just funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a – like we were saying before, it's a lot of this stuff is like you don't know why it's funny. It just hits you some, some for some reason. And I, I think that's another reason I really – am so intrigued by comedy it's almost inexplicable it's like uh i guess it's just the essence of preference you know it's like i i really like marzipan and you know some people hate marzipan marzipan is you know basically fancy version of almond paste and it's (laughs) it's like i i can't explain why i like marzipan i have I could not write an essay or, like, sit here and do an episode on why I like marzipan. I just like it. But I don't like, you know, uh, blueberries. I don't – I can't say why I don't like blueberries. It's just preference. 
And same thing with comedy. There's some things that hit me, and I'm just like, wow, I find that so funny, and others just don't. And it's just kind of like I can't explain why. It, it's, it taps into this weird part of our human, maybe even our like deep-down reptile brains where we have these reactions that we can't fully explain, and that's just wildly interesting to me. Exactly. Yeah, no, that we would just be sitting here picking out all the scenes, but... <laughs> I gotta say that my last favorite though is when Elaine pulls the autopilot out and he's just like grabbing all over her and <laughs> <laughs> like groping her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just love the autopilot. <laughs> yeah, he. Yeah, it's it's a testament to any movie that can take an inflatable doll and make it a true character. <laughs> Probably the <laughs> most the most well liked character is from our discussion. <laughs> oh yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> uh, I I definitely liked the in the flashback uh, to when Elaine and Ted meet at the bar, the Girl Scout fight. Just loved the Girl Scout fight for some reason. Like the the elongated like choreographed two Girl Scouts fighting over like a poker game, and I think I loved it because it's one of the only jokes in the movie that actually progresses the plot or or what the narrative is because we go to the flashback and ted is like it was a a really crappy bar like all the dregs of the earth were there and then like we were stationed somewhere blah 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 and then it's like a fight could break out at any minute and it goes and it's the girl scouts fighting and we've watched them fighting for like a full minute and i'm just like okay this is fun you know you got like two grown women in girl scout costumes and pigtails, and, like, their dresses are riding, or their uniforms are riding up, and they're basically, like, doing sexy wrestling. And then one of them gets thrown across the bar, crashes into the jukebox, which makes oh, right, Stayin' right. Alive start playing, and then that's, like, and everybody starts dancing, and that's what progresses them into the rest of the story. It's, the like, the only time in the movie that there's a joke that actually furthers the narrative along, and I love it. And I, for that stood out to me for that reason. So... I don't think anybody has noticed this. I did not notice it. I had to only find this in my research. But apparently, when Stayin' Alive plays in this movie, it is sped up by 10% from its original recording. And the, the studio and the directors actually had to get permission to do this from the Bee Gees, who perform Stayin' Alive. Like I said, I did not notice this. 10% speed up, I think, is negligible in the whole grand scheme of things. But in grand cinematic fashion, we're going to do a comparison between the studio and the movie version here. do all the editing with clips and posts, so I don't know if it's noticeable the difference or not, so we'll find out later, LaShawn. Um, but, but yeah, the, the Girl Scout scene I wanted to point out, because I thought that was that made me laugh. I also kind of enjoyed, maybe not in a funny way, but as just like a, a baffled way, 
the whole Kareem Abdul-Jabbar pretending not to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, oh. and the kid like, yeah, he's like, my dad says you suck at basketball, and he's like complaining about like his yeah. hustle on the court, and I was just like, this yeah. is very odd. But I, I think that that is a joke that's way ahead of its time, or maybe not way ahead of its time, but it is formative. Like, that meta type of joke becomes, like, the hallmark of, like, 2000s comedies. Like, breaking the fourth wall type of thing, where you just have this this actor or personality playing a character, and then the movie, like, pokes fun at that actual character. It's like when, you know, Ben Affleck is, like, in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, he, like, plays Holden Caulfield, who's... Or Holden McNeil. Holden Caulfield's the guy from... Catcher in the Rye, uh, Holden McNeil in the movie, in his character, but he also plays Ben Affleck in that. Or maybe another example is um, uh, Looney Tunes Back in Action, where Brendan Fraser plays Brendan Fraser's stunt double, and he's just Brendan Fraser. I feel like you wouldn't get those jokes if it wasn't for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in this movie. <laughs> right. I, speaking of basketball, I forgot about the scene where uh, Ted was trying to teach the african tribe how to play basketball yes that that was like right on the cusp of me being like is this problematic because it's not the fact that they're like playing basketball it's more of his narration where he's like they all really took to it and they loved it and it must have been like my expertise in teaching this sport and i'm like this seems a little off (laughs) it's almost like they did that as like a, a to save them they're like just in case this gets taken the wrong way let's redirect the way people take this joke this is the yes, funny part about yeah. it i could definitely see them just like it'd be like he introduced them to basketball and they're all like they all love basketball and then that's the joke and i could see them in test screenings people being like this this doesn't play well and so like okay let's let's put like his stupidity over it in the narration for sure no one had ever outlined a physical fitness program for them and they had no athletic equipment i started them on simple calisthenics and gradually worked them up to rudimentary game skills and finally advanced competitive theory. I was patient with them, and they were eager to learn. They seemed to enjoy themselves. It was probably due to the advanced American teaching techniques that we were able to bridge the generations of isolation and communicate so successfully with the Malambo. I yeah. like the Julie Haggerty, Elaine, um, doing the Tupperware party with all the tribes women. I like that part where she's, like, explaining <laughs> Tupperware, and I'm... You know, because then it's just, like... It's, it's so silly, because it's like, what are they... What are they storing, you know? It's like, they don't have refrigerators, so I feel like the Tupperware is not going to save them that much in storage. Maybe organization. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the last things I wanted to talk about this movie goes back to the um, the dense with jokes aspect is something that I'm going to talk about a lot in this whole series, this whole month, is because while we're doing a lot of these spoof and parody movies, or all spoof and parody movies, very few movies in general and in this subgenre, are as dense as this. Like we've been talking about, you know, every time the camera's planted down and the camera's moving, it's for a joke. I think that this helps this movie in its universality or its consistency of being just regarded as a great comedy forever. So, so kind of think about it as, you know, once again, let's make the comparison to Freddy Got Fingered. Freddy Got Fingered is not like a, a joke-a-minute type of thing. Like, you have to really, you know, wait for some of the jokes. Like, there's not a joke in every scene, and when we do get our jokes, it's, it's kind of like the focus is on them. Where in this movie, there's so many, you can miss some because you're laughing, because you're not looking at the right thing, and, you know, the jokes just are rapid fire. 
So let's say somebody watches a movie like Freddy Got Fingered, and you know they're they're watching a scene, they don't really know what's happening, and then a joke happens. Maybe Tom Green does something kooky. Tom Green puts on a dead deer carcass and gets hit by a truck, for example. Like that's the joke at the end of one of those scenes. If that joke doesn't land to somebody for somebody, they're gonna go, "Well, what the hell was that?" And there wasn't like a joke beforehand, and there's not a joke right after. And so that joke that doesn't land really stands out to them. They're like, man, like that was, that was a bad joke, somebody might say, or that wasn't funny at all. Whereas in this movie, if a joke doesn't land for you, chances are in the next 20 seconds, one of the jokes will land. And it really, it takes the exactly. weight off of the jokes that don't land for people. And so I, I think, you know, this movie kind of takes, Airplane takes a buckshot approach at this idea where even if some jokes don't land, there's so many jokes that do land throughout the movie, it tricks you into thinking that you were laughing the whole way through, when you really might not have been. Right. That's, a, that's just, that's like crazy to me that, you know, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I think that this movie has tricked a lot of people into thinking it's so funny, when really it's just like, no, there were funny parts that stood out to you, and it was like this dense subset of the movie that made you remember the whole movie in high regard. Whereas some movies where it's like, man, that's like, like to say Freddy Got Fingered, somebody would be like, wow, it started great, but that like last hour just fell flat because it didn't have that stuff to keep you going. Where here, like we were saying before, there's so many different types of jokes where, you know, they throw a, uh, they throw a slapstick one at you and you laugh at it, but then the next one about sex doesn't land for you. Oh, but then they're right back to a goofy language joke, and then, oh, maybe the pedophilia thing doesn't work, but although then they're doing language again, and, you're, and it's like you're just, you're wading through instead of kind of like trudging through. And I think I, I'd be really interested to like, take a survey or a poll of people like me who, who have some nostalgia for this movie and have held it in high regard for so long but haven't seen it in a while. And I'd love for them to watch it again and then like get their thoughts, be like, like, really, what percentage of that movie was funny? Because to me, I like I said at the start, I always thought this was really funny, but when I watched it again, I would say only maybe like a good... 40% I really found funny, maybe even less. And it'd be interesting to like have that nostalgia revisited specifically for this movie and maybe some other comedies in general. But nobody's going to fund that research. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's, that's a pretty accurate percentage, but I also feel like that's a pretty solid number when it comes to col comedy if you can achieve a 40% you know, success rate with those jokes. And you know, if you throw in the fact that you watched movies like this with other people... You may be quiet when someone else is Definitely. laughing. You're just going to forget that you weren't even laughing at that joke, but you laughed maybe because they laughed. And by the end of the movie, you guys just laughed the whole time. Yes. And, you know, um, in this movie, it's different characters delivering the jokes, which is the same thing in other shows where, you know, like we talked about The Office, you might not like Michael, but every time Jim talks, you, you start laughing. And so, you know, let's say Jim is only 40 percent, well, not even 40 percent, he's only 25 percent. My God, I suck at math. He's like an sure, eighth of the sure. cast. <laughs> and so you laugh at uh, just a, some parts of his joke. But then there's another character that's basically a similar personality to Jim that also complements Jim's humor. So you might laugh at Jim and then the other guy or Pam or whatever. And then next thing you know, you've laughed at 25% of an episode of The Office, yeah. which is pretty good. And therefore, The Office is funny to you. That's a really good point because I, I don't even think I've ever – consciously like acknowledge that but that happens to me so much you even mentioned earlier with freddie got fingered you said you know me laughing so much probably made you laugh and 
you know, like, the start of that movie, when Tom Green is looking at his drawings, and he has a banana with a utility belt on, and he's talking to, like, a guy, and he's, like, doing voices where he's like, you want to be an electrician? You want the job? You got the job! You got the job! And I just, I love that joke. Like, it's so goofy. The bananas. I know a banana driver jobs telephone repairman. Guy came and said, you want a job here? And he said, yeah, I want to get jobs, telephone repairman. He said, you got the job! You got the job, buddy! <laughs> then the beavers came. The beavers started yelling at another beaver. The beavers started yelling at the other beaver. He said, you're stupid beaver. You're stupid. <laughs> and I'm sure, like, me cracking up, you were just like, man, Rob's a goofy motherfucker, and you're just laughing at that. And so that could be it. Maybe there was a bunch of group viewings of, like, Airplane and things like that back in the day where it's just, like, everybody's laughing at something different, and when you think back, it's like, wow, we were laughing the whole time through that movie. And I, I could even imagine it, like, uh, I feel like that's happened with um, The Room. The, the Room is not a comedy, but The Room is now considered, like, the worst, or, like, the best bad movie of all time, and people laugh at it. I can only imagine that that's because you watch it with a bunch of friends, maybe someone who knows something about it, and you can have this discussion. When I've watched The Room by myself, it's unbearable. I can't get through it. Like, I, it's, it's painful. Now, that's a really neat idea. I, to take it back to something else that we watched in college with a group of people that I find funny, and I, I thankfully I, it has held up and I still find it very funny, Thanksgiving about the demonic turkey. That kills, like, we watched that, there were, like, four of us in that room, and I think we were all, like, just, like, some of us were like, this is a terrible joke, but we're laughing at it, and people were like, this is so stupid that we're laughing at it, but it gave, it gave me, definitely, that essence when, you know, what, uh, seven, eight years later, when we started this podcast, I was like, thanks killing, we gotta talk about thanks killing, like, that movie's insane, and I was probably, you know, influenced by the fact that we watched it with four people, and we were just kind of, like, enthralled with the atmosphere of us more than just the movie. That's a really interesting idea, for sure. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying <laughs> to think killing. of other things that, uh, that I've, I've had that experience with. But that, that might become, like, one of my new thoughts that I'll have to flesh out on, like, the true test of a movie. Or maybe not test, but, you know, how well people enjoy it. Did you watch it by yourself or did you watch it with a group the first time? Because that, that's a huge yeah. influence on how it's perceived later on, for sure. Yeah, and then, see, my thing, too, is, like, a lot of the humor that a lot of people seem to like anything sex and vulgar. And for me, I do, but it has to be well-written. Um, like, the movie Ted, it's just Family Guy, but with a, you know, instead of a Stewie, it's a bear. And yes. I'm just like, it's, it's no different. So I didn't care for Ted, but Ted was one of, like, America's favorite movies for the longest while. And I'm like... Eh. Same with Deadpool. Only some of the Deadpool jokes I found hilarious. Like, most of it, I was just like, those are thoughts I have in my head, which I would never share with the world because they're not that funny. But <laughs> other people hear them and they're like, Deadpool is hilarious. I'm like, Deadpool is funny. He's a funny guy. But hilarious? Eh, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> I think that goes back to what you know what you were saying about memes. It's like comedy in like the last few years. What was Deadpool 2016, maybe? That it's like you have to relate to it somehow, you know. It, it's like taking, it's it's what like they always said the funny comedians would do. Like back in the day when stand up was getting huge in like the '90s and the early 2000s, and like really you know hitting a lot of people. Not that stand up wasn't huge before then, 
this isn't about the history of stand-up, but it's like <laughs> everyone would be like, wow, they take like these everyday situations and they, and they think about them in these clever ways. And it's like people are like, yeah, I've always thought that, but you know, I've never been able to like express it in this funny way. And we've just beaten that to death in like comedy culture. Where, you know, it's just like with the memes, with Deadpool, it's like, whoa, haven't you done this before? Like, haven't you had this interaction? And it's like, yeah, but does that make it funny? Like, am I laughing at the <laughs> fact that there are so many people on the planet that nothing is truly unique? Is that what I'm supposed to be laughing at? <laughs> when you put it that way. <laughs> so, it's actually rather sad. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely agree with you. I, I was not the biggest fan of Deadpool. I thought it was pretty one note with the the breaking the fourth wall. Like every joke had to be tail ended with like a, looking at the camera and being like, "Do you get it, audience?" You know that type of thing, um, for sure. And uh, some more recent. I don't know if there's been a recent comedy I've seen that I've really enjoyed, which is why you know we're doing pretty much everything <laughs> before the 21st century in this series of comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, no that that's some that's some good good points you bring up for sure. So I think uh, the last bit I wanted to mention just one little um, fun fact. Well, maybe not fun. Another another joke in this movie that definitely didn't work for me was uh, that guy goes to pick up the the Robert Stack at his home, and like the couple, the, the woman with the dog, the dog just like mauls this dude. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, what is this? I'm like, I don't understand this at all. But uh, so the, the guy that gets mauled by the dog is uh, Craig Berenson, who years later, like I think 25 years after this movie, produces Snakes on a Plane. So oh, nice. uh, another yeah. plane related movie. I think that I saw it once. It has some comedy, but it's not like a super comedy like this. But I think there's like some, like you said, some like raunchy comedy and stuff like that where like, well, doesn't like a snake. We see like a CGA snake bite some girl's boob or something like that. That's and that's what makes that movie funny. Is just it's so ridiculous. And then you got Samuel L. Jackson just saying like the craziest lines that are like, "Dude, this is cheesy. It's so cheesy. It's just like hilarious." Yeah, yeah. That I think that was probably not the first movie, but I would I would argue that that was the movie that started the the huge push in like Hollywood and the movie business of like come up with the name first and then make the movie like like right. the, mar- the marketing for that movie was the title like and and i think the the testament to that is that to this day and age i don't know if anybody remembers that movie but all they remember is that yo it's called snakes on a plane it's about snakes on a plane and samuel jackson says i've had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane like that <laughs> that is the legacy of that movie and then uh, of course that's probably the top tier. They did it, and I, I, from what I remember, that movie was, like, well-crafted in the sense of comparing it to a Sharknado, where it's like, right. Sharknado, that's it. That's the movie. You know, that that's all you need. And that movie's, of course, low-budget. You know, you have, like, bad performances or stale performances because no one cares about that. They just want to see a tornado pick up a bunch of sharks. <laughs> and and that's it. And you get what? I think there's, like, what, five or six Sharknados now? <laughs> Yeah, I lost track. So, so yeah, I think you know the whole uh, this whole month we'll be talking about this idea of comedy and what it's done. But I, I have to say, I'm not the biggest fan of the state of comedy these days. Not that I seek out a lot of comedies. I guess is another way to put it. Is that you know I, I still am very much, you know, like like we said before, making fun of those people who watch The Office 15 times in their lives and they they don't watch new stuff. I am guilty of that with sketch comedy. Like I could watch something new. 
Or I could just go back to watch old episodes of Mr. Show with Bob and David or, or Mad TV and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and oh, I, I did. A, I went back and watched a, a good bit of In Living Color not too long ago, and that was great. Love David Allen Greer. <laughs> but but yes, so so comedy is is a, is a wonderful thing. Uh, any any final thoughts on uh, airplane or comedy or anything like that, Lashawn? Uh, no, I just think it's one of those movies that it became a part of American culture, and it's just a great movie per se. It's just one that I might not show my kids unless they really want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely true. Uh, and yeah, now speaking of memes, once again, isn't there some meme where it's like? It's like somebody says white people don't have culture, and then they'll, like, put a picture yeah. or something. Like, I, I would love to see the meme of, it's like, they say white people don't have culture, and then it's just the airplane movie poster. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right. So, so airplane, that is airplane. Um, I, I guess to mention, we won't be discussing it this uh, series. I don't know if we'll discuss it ever, even if we do a sequel series, which we've been... I've been uh, mentioned a few times where a, a series of like we do sequels to movies we've discussed previously. There is an airplane two. Uh, it is called Airplane Two, and then the subtitle is the sequel, and it is basically the same exact movie as this one, except it takes place on a spaceship. So it's like one of the first commercial spaceship flights, and like there people are going to a different planet or something like that. But a lot of the cast comes back. They make a lot of the same jokes. I think they they do more science fiction jokes than like disaster movie jokes which this one's a parody of but the thing that is the biggest i think detriment to it is that the directors don't come back so it's not a zazz movie and i think like the writer and the uh, some of the other writers and the producers don't come back as well so it's a sequel in pretty much name and cast only the behind the scenes people like just didn't want to come back for it and i was reading that zazz was like we did everything we wanted to do with Airplane. Like, like, what are we going to do in a sequel? And they didn't... The sequel, people who made the sequel didn't do anything new. The, the, drink, the drinking problem joke is in there, um, from what I remember. Uh, the, That's so lazy. The, the flying, like him having issues with flying, like uh, he has his trauma from the war, like that's still in there. I'm trying to... I think the... I haven't seen it in a, in a long time, and I didn't rewatch it for this recording, but I'm pretty sure there's a... The joke that I remember for some reason is that, like, the the pilot near the beginning of the movie says, like, oh, we're going to experience some turbulence in a spaceship, or maybe they're, like, hitting an asteroid field. I don't know. The plane, the, the spaceship's going to shake. That's the setup for the joke. And as this is being said over the intercom, a guy goes into the restroom, and he, like, starts to shave. And so when the plane, like, starts shaking, he just, like, cuts his face to shreds because he's still trying to shave. That stood out to me for some reason. <laughs> God. That's one of those ones I laugh at it. And I'm just like, that's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that brings us to our questions. This is going to be an interesting one because uh, Airplane is, is so so popular and such. But I think I'll throw it over to you, LaShawn, first. What do you think for our Cinemodities status and our late night status? I think it's definitely one that if you have a friend that hasn't seen it, it would make a great, you know, just a little chuckle film. You know, very casual, very light. Um, a good late night film, just easy going. You and your homie just hanging out. That's a good distinction for someone who's never seen it before. Like if if you can find the unicorn, like I did in Lashawn, of someone who has never seen this movie before, that would be a very interesting experiment. Okay, okay, I like that. And what about Cinemodity for you? 
I would say that I wouldn't say it's a cinemodity. It's it's just a normal parody comedy. Um, back in the day, I'd say probably not very popular. Um, I don't know. You'd probably be the one to answer that. I don't think there were many of them. So this was kind of a, a a new thing, yeah. Yeah, it started a new wave of how to do comedy. So I think it was it's a I wouldn't say it's a cinemodity. It's just a trendsetter. Yeah, yeah, you're, that's actually a good point. Something we didn't mention earlier. Um, this movie was um, I, I know we talked about it with Zaz a little bit. Them doing things that had never been done before in comedy. Um, but this whole style of movie, I think, was fairly new. Or if anything, this was the one that really broke through. And this was. Huge. This had a three and a half million dollar budget. It made eighty three and a half million dollars. Nice. Like this movie made bank. Like so. So once again, every usually on cinemodities we talk about movies that like make no money, but all three that you've been on for Lashawn have just been insane. Black Swan made an ungodly amount of money. War of the <laughs> Roses made a huge amount of money, and so did Airplane. So, so yeah, we we got these uh, these financial successes with you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, so I, I was originally going to say late night, uh, no to late night, because I was thinking like there are better things to use a late night experience on. Fair. But in my note, I explicitly said and was thinking, especially since this movie is so well known. Like if if I had uh, this is on my hard drive. If if you know I was with somebody and we were going through my hard drive and they were like airplane, like that's a funny movie. I'd be like, why? Like, why watch this? We've both seen it, you know? It's like, what, what the hell's the point? I, I'm going to agree with you completely, though, that if, if you find somebody who has never seen Airplane, it is a late-night movie for them. Like, show this movie to them because it is so rare. Like, I cannot imagine that that would happen often at all. Like, if you find it, take advantage of it. So I'm, I'm, you, you sold me on that idea, LaShawn. <laughs> for for Cinemodities, I'm going to... I'm going to go with a yes, but for the reason that this movie is so popular and so widely and consistently loved. In and of itself, I don't think it's a cinemodity. I totally agree with you. It's just like a, by our standards today and what we know and what culture knows, it's a run-of-the-mill parody spoof movie, tons of jokes. But for all those things I was saying, like, this is still loved today. It has the bulletproof armor to any controversy. It It's still quoted, um, you know, I'm sure there's, if I looked at more memes, I'm sure there's some scenes of this movie that are memes. There's got to be some shots of this that people use for memes. I don't know what it would be, but I'm I'm just assuming there's so many memes out there, they have to be using this movie. So just for the fact that this movie is so popular to an almost inexplicable extent, especially after how I felt after re-watching it, maybe it's that nostalgia, who knows. I'm going to go yes for Cinemodities. All right, that brings us... To the restaurant, the part that everybody waits for, LaShawn. Everybody skips the two-hour discussion at the beginning, and they just listen to the restaurant. Uh, I, I hope that is not true. Hey, kids. Before LaShawn and I talk about how Airplane impacts the restaurant this week, just a quick interjection about a follow-up email from none other than our lawyer-slash-insurance manager, Maximo. Update. We have heard back from our insurance manager slash lawyer Maximo for the Cinemodities restaurant. Another email that we're going to discuss right now. He starts with, of course, the subject ballistic missile. So right off the bat, when I see this in our Cinemodities email, I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Maybe something bad happened. But nope, it seems like it's all fairly good news. Maximo goes on to say, hello, Rob, it is your insurance manager with some news. 
I sued Heart Attack Grill, which was the next restaurant on the list, but first I gotta tell you how the other two lawsuits went. So I sued Signmodities after Modern Toilets, but turns out Modern Toilets wasn't happy. So they sent a giant toilet... To- giant toilet... Toilet! <laughs> I, guess, I guess we should say, of course, Justin is here as well, discussing this email, as I think everybody should know at this point. I, I can't... Your most favorite investigator, everyone. I, I can't have another host talk about these emails anymore. They're so in-depth, like... There's so much backstory now that if, like, I was recording with LaShawn, I would have to describe, like, so many emails just for him to understand one email now. So, yes, Justin is back with us again. (laughs) Maximo, you have somehow given me job security. (laughs) Rob isn't paying me yet, but when he does, your emails will make sure he continues to pay me. Yes. So, anyway, uh, Modern Toilets wasn't happy, so they sent a giant toilet robot motherfucker to my house, which was a little more than my Roomba could handle. But get this, that wasn't the only thing. Signmodities sent a fucking ballistic missile to my house at the same time as the robot was there, so it hit the robot, which contained the owner of Modern Toilets inside, so he fucking died. Then Signmodities was going to send another missile, but since it was bootleg, it exploded before launch and killed them. This is one big sentence, just so everybody's aware. That's why I read it that way. This is, he wrote this as one big sentence where, you know, punctuation gets replaced by capitalization at a certain point, and, and it's, it's just fantastic. He goes on to say, as a result of this, my house was destroyed, so I got in my LeBaron, Maximo's driving away in his white Chrysler LeBaron, and traded it for one of those drug dealer white vans in which I am sleeping. I will come to the restaurant since it's infinite, and I guess it won't be a problem if I crash there for a while, and then in parentheses, forever. But first I sued Heart Attack Grill because work comes first. So I do want to comment, I, this brought up an interesting thing when he, when he said that uh, his, his house got destroyed. I was kind of like, oh yeah, you know, we don't, we don't really know, for Maximo being an employee, we don't really know where he lives. Well, now it seems like he's going to be living in his office at the restaurant, but that kind of you know, expanded this into we've hired this dude for some pretty sensitive stuff, it seems, and we know and, and has turned <laughs> out to be. And we don't really know anything about him. Like, I was like, we don't know where he lives. M- maybe, like, we don't know how old he is. Like, maybe he's an infant. Who knows? There's no <laughs> way to tell. And maybe he's like a 700-year-old wizard. We could hope so. But but uh, I'm glad we're going to learn a little bit more about Maximo in this email, or we have learned that he's now residing in his office at the Cinemodities restaurant. Thanks to Rob. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes on to discuss the Heart Attack Grill lawsuit. So here it is. Once again, we're getting this cover page, this executive summary type of thing. Uh, it's titled, appropriately, Lawsuit, like the last one was. It's from Maximo at Cinemodities Corp. Uh, it's to the Heart Attack Grill. And before I read the causes, we do have an image. And in that image, he has drawn uh, what appears to be two stick figures hanging at the gallows. And we know it's the gallows because it is labeled the gallows. And it, what appears to be little nooses drawn around the uh, <laughs> the stick figures' heads. One of them is the modern toilet stick figure. And now one of them is the sign modities image which I think is the sign modities image. I don't know if I've seen it before, but he basically took, or sorry, not he, sorry, Maximo. They, the sign modities restaurant, took the cinemodities logo, 
replaced the name, and then they just changed the color saturation of our logo. So definitely intellectual property and copyright infringement. There is a third stick figure, which has, of course, the Cinemodities logo for a head. And very nicely, I think Maximo is uh, improving his lawsuit pictures because it's not just some weird angled line. It's a real gun on the hip of that Cinemodities person. Do you see that little gun, Justin? That little, like, gun picture? Wait. The hip? I thought the Cinemodities had a gun for a dick. Oh. <laughs> That that might be the intention, and that just might be him uh, strong arming or strong dicking the uh, the people the heart attack grill in this lawsuit, which I would totally approve of. <laughs> That's the interpretation I'm gonna stick with. For okay, this. okay, I like that. The other thing I have to say about this little image uh, of you know Cinemodities just you know killing or or putting to death these other two characters. If you recall, last time we got an email from Maximo. Uh, the Cinemodities stick figure had shot the modern toilet stick figure in the head. That gunshot wound is still in the modern toilet stick figure's head, and it's still bleeding, apparently. Oh, it is. <laughs> yes. So so there's continuity in these lawsuits that I really like. I think in the next stick figure uh, saga, I want to see Cinemodities crotch with a gun up to our next whoever sewer, the person we sue, right to the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the lit, litig, litigant. There's the lig, litig, litigator and the litigate, litigant. That's a weird yeah, word. Yeah, I, I want to see crotch gun to litig, litigator mouth. Defendant is the word I was looking for. Put it in the defendant's mouth. So I will, I will definitely leave that up to you, Maximo, if you want to take Justin's advice, who I have to remind you is not an employer of yours, or if you want to say, go fuck yourself, don't tell me how to do my job. <laughs> <laughs> so on this lawsuit as well, we have the causes. So once again, this is to Heart Attack Grill. Causes. All right, fuckers, this is how we're gonna do this. I've already taken <laughs> down two of you Cinemodities copycat motherfuckers, so you either shut it down or my lawsuit will destroy you worse that my Roomba destroyed the modern toilet's assassins. <laughs> I think uh, since we have faith in our lawyer, who might be a toddler, uh, we uh, we know that these, these words are intentional, so the this is how we're gonna do this has to be intentional. He's a lawyer. He, and an insurance manager. He has to be doing this intentionally. And, of course, my lawsuit will destroy you worse that my Roomba destroyed the modern toilet assassins. I don't know what it means, but I'm not a lawyer. I don't think you're a lawyer, Justin, so we don't know legalese. Hey, don't judge me. I, I don't think I'm judging you. I think I'm putting you in a certain category. I think I'm, I think I'm putting you in a box. Don't put me in a box. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. So, so that was the lawsuit that went to Heart Attack Grill. We got a response. The Cinemodities people, entity, Maximo, got a response from Heart Attack Grill. This is a little different than the response we got from Modern Toilets, if you remember from the last time we discussed that. We actually got some, some actual words and things like that. So, Justin, would you like to enlighten our audience, our shareholders of the restaurant, in what response we got from the Heart Attack Grill? Yeah, you know what, sir? I would. Okay, okay? thank you. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, don't tell me how to do my fucking job. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just because I'm not a lawyer doesn't mean I don't have some valuable input on this, okay? Yes, yes. 
and I think this whole conflict has given me some some perspective, okay? <laughs> no. Hey kids, for the rest of this conversation, every time Justin says sign modities, he means heart attack grill. Now, of course, as only sign modities would, they respond with this cinemodities. I bet you fucker, stupid ass lawyer. I. Okay, okay. All right. Apparently, the whole infinite time warp uh, uh, conglomerate grammar is lacking, but we'll let it go. We'll let it go. Okay? I mean, I'm not going to let it go, but I'm going to read it as is. Yes. I bet you fucker, stupid-ass lawyer can't handle the real American style, so I challenge you to one of our famous one in ten bites of this burger will kill you challenge, and whoever dies first losses. <laughs> that, that might be my favorite part of that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you in or are you chicken? Yeah, USA. All right, now our boy Maximo set out to Texas to settle this once and for all, he says. He's on the way. He's going to report back in his next email. Lesson learned, Cinemodities needs nuclear power. Now, listen. Okay, Maximo, I only hope I reach you in time before you know you, you do anything. you do anything crazy, my guy. All right, you're living in a van. I respect it. I, I actually respect that. <laughs> nice. But I don't I don't want this to go too far because I actually see here an incredible opportunity. Now, sign modities put the background of their image as an, an an eagle with American flags for wings and a lot of pistols. Now, yes. now I know they're the cinemodities ripoff, right? You know, they're they're taking a lot of our intellectual property. They're taking a lot of our uh, what's the word? Similarities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's the word? Our sticks, our gimmicks. Yeah, yeah. Which makes me think maybe us and sign modities are not too different after all. <laughs> We're not so different, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> I've always seen sign modities as a, as a brilliant ripoff. And I can't help but get the feeling that they admire us. Hmm. Yeah, what's that saying? A flattery or imitation is the sincerest form of flattery? Something like that? Yeah. So, Maximo, before you go ham, drop a couple hydrogen bombs on these folks. (laughs) I know. they, they, They dropped a missile on your house. Look, propose, propose an offer, okay? I think we could use some allies in this battle. We could take over the industry with these people, okay? So make them an offer. You you make sure we get the, the good side of the offer. You don't need me to tell you that. But look, <laughs> before we're all guns blasting on signed modities, you know, feel them out a little bit. Maybe maybe there's something we could do here. Maybe we can work out a, an agreement. That's fair. I like that. That's some good advice, Justin. I can get behind that. Once again, it's up to Maximo. Um He's a lawyer. He he, uh, he might hate you after this uh, discussion because you're telling him what to do, but uh, we'll see. We'll it's see. a recommendation. <laughs> it's nothing more. Than, I'm just you know trying to read the, the the signs in the crop field here. Yes. So so I have to mention. Uh, I, I think uh, it, it slipped you by, but in that in that lesson learned where cinemodities needs nuclear power, it says cinemodities needs nuclear. Power. Oh. <laughs> So, so before we go too off in this, I, I do want to mention that uh, that uh, when when Maximo sent this email or when we received it, it was at eleven thirty six a.m. It was when I received it at 
12.54 p.m. on the same day, he sent another email that said, I misspelled Cinemodities in my last email. It was the autocorrect. Frowny face, I'm sorry. So <laughs> so he caught himself, which is, which is totally fine. I'm a little Respect. concerned. I'm a little concerned as to why his phone or whatever was autocorrecting Cinemodities to Cinemodities. I think there's some cows behind the scene that are pulling some strings that we're going to need to flesh uh, – <laughs> flush out one day because <laughs> Cin- cinemudities would be the the cow portion of the restaurant right <laughs> <laughs> i saw it as more of a moody thing but you see it as more of a moo oh i was definitely thinking of the you know the the usual cow jokes where you put moo somewhere but sin you're right cinemudities. are you memeing are you memeing on us right now that's not a meme that joke's been around since before we were born <laughs> no you're memeing bro yes. i caught you memeing if making a joke is memeing, then everybody's memed for all of history, Justin. <laughs> oh, how the turntables. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay, we're not starting with that, but you're, <laughs> you're right. I like that idea of cinemudities of, like, you know, maybe it's the it's the kind of the atmospheric portion of the restaurant, you know, where there's some ambiance, there's some sensual lighting, and you're getting in the mood. It's the cinemudities portion. I like that. But, of course, we, we might have to flesh that out later when it comes up in an episode because uh, this turned out to just be a typo. So, <laughs> Maximo, thank you. Thank you for also giving us the PS. I know Justin and I asked, well, what is the anime girl that was on the, uh, the picture from the Modern Toilets restaurant? Uh, he says, the anime girl on the other email was literally the third image when I typed anime girl. PNG. So I that's spent fine. like ten minutes searching for that anime girl, and I couldn't find her. <laughs> so, so he's answering us. We got all that stuff. He's uh, he had a LeBaron apparently, which I also love. So, so thank you for the email again, Maximo. And Justin and I are definitely waiting to hear what you are going to do next, and if you are going to survive some of this. Because I, I agree with you, Justin. Don't let things get too hairy out there, right? Yeah, let's exercise a little little caution and uh, self-preservation out, out in the field. Don't tell me how to do my fucking job! <laughs> <laughs> only recommendations. Only recommendations. It's all I can make, brother. But I have to say, I don't have a lot for this movie. I was kind of, like, trying to, like, grasp at something. Sure, there's food. There's the whole food sickness thing. Uh, so, but, but still, I was having some issues, so... Uh, I think the first one and the one that uh, we need is – I think I've mentioned it to you before, LaShawn, that our, our infinite void of a restaurant, um, it's so infinite and so huge that some people can't find the exit. So we have like a group of people and it's actually like a few little villages are popping up of people that like are trapped in the restaurant. And they can't find their way out. So I was thinking that we would hire or take some of our staff – and they would go to these little, like, villages or, or, you know, settlements of people that are trapped in the restaurant. And, you know, they would come up and they would, you know, clearly be in, in Cinemodity's attire. Or I don't think we have outfits, but it would be clear that they work for the restaurant. And everybody in, the, in like, the, the settlement or the group of people would be like, oh, we're rescued. Like, he's going to show us the exit, that type of thing. And instead, the employee tries to sell them Tupperware. So so we send employees to have Tupperware parties for people that are trapped in the restaurant because if they're trapped in the restaurant and they're ordering more food so they can survive, they might need to store their leftovers somewhere. (laughs) Oh, man. That's cruel. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, it's cruel. Yes. Um, We we make – 
our lives, we make our customers' lives very difficult a lot in the restaurant, and that's one of our <laughs> one of our hallmarks. We wear it like a badge of honor when that's on the Yelp review. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think the other ones I had were pretty quick. There's some shot I don't remember where it is in the movie, but we're like we see a newspaper for some reason. And it says like something like boy in refrigerator eats his own foot. Do you remember that? It's some it's I think it's after the the reporters come and they're asking and they take the pictures. We see like the spinning newspaper. It says like airplane is like going down or something. But then it like shows three newspapers and two of them about the airplane and one of them is like boy trapped in refrigerator eats his own foot. I can I can oh. barely remember. <laughs> this might, I'm pretty sure this is in the movie. I don't think I made this up. So but I was thinking we could serve like a little mini refrigerator. So like, you know, I, like on, you'd get served like a tiny little refrigerator, like maybe like a model of a refrigerator. And then when you open it, there would be like a foot inside and you eat the foot. That's it. LaShawn's <laughs> 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 just like, I don't know what to say to that. I, I got nothing on that we, one. <laughs> we do have a human foot already on the menu. But it's part of the soul food, or it's create your own soul food platter, which was inspired by an episode of Key and Peel that we discussed. And so I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if we've ever talked a lot about Key and Peel, but of course sketch comedy, which I, I live for. There's an episode of Key and Peel where they're at a soul food restaurant and they're trying to outdo each other with like how down home and down south they can order their food as. And at mm-hmm. one point, someone's like. Like I want a cellar door with a with a fish head wrapped in newspaper and a human foot, and the waitress is like shocked. And then there's a pause, and she goes, "I only got." She goes, "You want a human foot?" And he goes, "Yes." And she goes, "I only got one question for you. Do you want gravy on those collard greens or something like that?" And then like that's the end <laughs> of the sketch. And so I love that idea. So we already have a human foot on the menu. So let's just take some of those feet and put them in refrigerators, and people can order the foot in the refrigerator. Oh, there's got to be a better name for that. We could probably, we could probably like make a, a joke out of, you know, like a five dollar foot long, but oh, it's God. not like a foot long sub. It's a foot long mini. The mini refrigerator is one foot long, <laughs> and there's a foot inside of it. I'm sold. I've sold myself on my own pitch for the restaurant, Lashawn. <laughs> oh, that's strong. That's nothing like what I got. <laughs> okay, okay. What what do you have for the restaurant? You always you always come in with a with a hot one over here. <laughs> so you know how you go to some like seafood places and they have like a tank full of lobsters and you can pick your own lobster. Yes. Uh, and super fancy. So like this time, you know how that one lady on the plane she was just spitting out eggs, and <laughs> yeah. so you just have basically your. Whenever they order anything with eggs, like egg drop soup, it's on the menu. And they're like, oh, and you give them their soup. And they're like, this is weird. This egg drop soup doesn't have any eggs. And you go, hold on. And then you just do the magic trick or something and you just pull an <laughs> egg out of their mouth. Or, And if they don't like that, then your employee just like pulls an imp- like the egg out of their pants. And then they're just like, here you go, egg drop soup. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I like that. So... So in essence, we're going to make our employees and possibly customers egg dispensers. Yes. Okay. <laughs> See, and you we... can still have the little thing with the chickens right up front. It might, you know, turn some people into vegetarians because <laughs> yes. people seeing the chickens right there, you know, it's probably not a good look. <laughs> I okay, I I dig that for sure, and I laughed when when you said you, you, the way you said it. I totally forgot about the egg scene in this movie. 
But the way you said it, like, after this discussion, it makes perfect sense that, you know, it's just talking about this movie. We're fully entrenched in it. Just, like, so matter-of-factly. It was like, you know that lady who's spitting out eggs? And it's like, <laughs> yes, that did happen in this movie. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> That's great. Okay, oh, okay, right on. The last one I had was uh, from that whacking material section of the magazines. <laughs> oh, Lord. Where are you going? The one dude, when uh, Peter Graves is looking at the the magazine in the whacking section, it shows the cover of it, and the picture on the cover is like, it what looks like a like a male gymnast. And the title of the magazine is Modern Sperm. And that's all I could make out. I, I, I couldn't see if there was like any uh, like article titles or anything, but I saw the picture and it said Modern Sperm. So, you know, what, like at the front of the restaurant, if people are waiting for a table, they have to like hang out in like little seats or whatever, like little benches. Mm-hmm. Let's have some waiting room material. Let's get some copies of Modern Sperm. Like maybe the Cinemani's restaurant should have a subscription to Modern Sperm. I don't know. Is it monthly? Is it quarterly? Is it a weekly magazine? I also have no idea what the hell modern sperm could be about. Like, I, I, I took it as a joke on, like, men's health or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how your health inspectors would feel about, you know, magazines like that floating around. They'd be like, what kind of place is this? Oh, God. The health inspectors are so damn annoying at the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have any anything else for the restaurant? No, that okay. about covers airplane for me and the restaurant. <laughs> right on, right on. So with all that being said, that brings us to uh, the end of our first episode in the High Impact Joke Density series. Next week we're going to – I think it will be next week. This whole series is getting recorded in, in advance, uh, and we're doing some of it out of order. But uh, we live in a time vortex here at the Cinemodities Restaurant, so everybody's already fully aware that, you know, take what we say. <laughs> in the order of episodes with a grain of salt. But I think we're going to slow things down. The next episode is not going to be as buckshot, and we're going to be talking about Johnny Dangerously, which is a spoof of gangster movies. So tune in for that. And, as always, LaShawn, thank you for appearing on Cinemodities once again. Thank you for um, letting me pop your airplane cherry. (laughs) And uh, I'm glad I found you. I didn't know that there was anybody, like we said, who had not seen this movie. But thanks for coming on. And if anybody wants to hear you talk about airplanes, where can they find you? (laughs) Yeah, just go to YouTube and type in LJ's Garage or check out my Instagram, also LJ's Garage. I'm easy to find. But thanks for that shout-out, Rob, and thanks for having me this week. Have you ever done, like, a uh, an episode on, like, any flying things, like airplanes, helicopters, anything like that? Or every, has everything been grounded? Everything's been grounded for now, but I'm working on it. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, okay, the, the last thing that we have is uh, how are we going to end this episode? Like always, we play something in reverse, and I think this one's a no-brainer. We have to get some BGs, some staying alive in reverse. I will leave it to me after, as I'm editing this to decide, do I want to play the original version or the 10% sped-up version from this movie in reverse? And when I decide, I will let the audience see if they can figure out which one it is. That's a, it's a little Easter egg hunt for our audience. They can see if, if the outro music is sped up by 10%. Oh, God. Our audience hates us. 